three cinephiles have come together to bring you strong opinions, controversial statements, epic battles, and plenty of fun. Introducing our host, the man who watches 52 movies a week, drinks 52 beers a movie, loves women but hates the woman, from the foreign land of Canada, our host, Mood616. He is widely known as the man who talks too much. His worst enemies are Postmaster P and Pee Wee Herman. He said Hellraiser was overrated and Leprechaun Origins wouldn't suck. He's the full-blooded half-Mexican, JP. Finally, we have the man who doesn't talk enough. He is best friends with Sean S. Cunningham. His favorite horror movie is Gummo. He is your favorite Jew and mine, Jeremy. Together, they are known for extending a helping hand to Vampircons everywhere. They are the 22 shots of moods and horror. Oh yeah, what's going on everybody? Episode 42 of the 22 Shots of Moods and Horrors coming at you live. I am your host Mood616 and I'm very, very sad to say and announce that NES Ruler 22, also known as Jeremy, is not with us today. But of course, I've still got my homie, Double Shot J, also known as JP, here with me. What's up, buddy? What's going on, man? And for those of you who cannot stand to not hear jeremy's voice he will be in a segment at the end of the show where he'll be talking about the two films that we're reviewing for tonight's featured reviews yeah so i had no funny intro for this one because i just you know i usually always say i've got my two something with me but just couldn't do it man you're too you're too valentines my two valentines that's a good one but i couldn't even say that because you know if i say my one valentine then it just sounds kind of gross yeah, a little gay. <laughs> a little gay, but but yeah. Um yeah, so I guess it's just the two of us tonight, right? <laughs> so this is actually kind of funny considering we are covering My Bloody Valentine from 1981 and of course the remake from 2009. I believe you're t- right. I believe okay. you're correct. Okay. So which is kind of funny we're going to have this, you know, this one-on-one conversation like we're a couple. <laughs> <laughs> on this special special friday the 13th episode it um, is friday the 13th that is awesome you know yeah, are you watching reco- any of them tonight um you know the wife just actually texted me just before we got onto skype here and she said um she asked me if she if when she gets off work if we wanted to she wants to go for like appies and stuff we usually do that on fridays because we don't really spend a lot of time together but uh and i was like well you know i kind of wanted to yeah i guess i'll go <laughs> i can't tell you're <laughs> just gonna stay home and watch friday the 13th film <laughs> she's like don't you remember that marathon we did a, a year and a half ago we've seen them all i'm like and yeah, whatever and i'm like what is your point exactly so yeah well but yeah she doesn't really get the whole friday the 13th thing you know how we love that day it's such a it's it's a cool thing in the in the horror community in the horror world world and stuff but you know as a female she's just like eh, whatever i don't care i want appies <laughs> i'm like whatever well there is two more this year so you will have another opportunity to watch a friday the 13th film wow. i personally am going to probably watch part eight tonight um i normally watch two uh, last year, I believe, or last Friday the 13th, I don't know if it was a year ago, I watched five and six. Um, but, you know, the show, recording it tonight, we probably won't get done until a little later, so I'm only going to be able to squeeze in one, but I'm going to go with part eight. You know, I'm a rebel, though, because uh, I think the last Friday the 13th that we had was, what, a few months back? I actually watched Saturday the 14th, because that's how I roll. You know, I got to rebel against the day because, you know, or just I, I'll have like a Nightmare on Elm Street 
marathon on Friday the 13th. Oh man. I used to get I'm, so I'm excited. Like that. I used to get, get so excited when it was a Friday the 13th, I'd be in school and it was a Friday. I, I'd be like in elementary school, just waiting for the, you know, final bell to ring so I could go home. Cause I knew there'd be a marathon on, I didn't even check the TV, but for some reason I prefer to watch them on TV. Like, you know, if, if there, if some station is doing a marathon, I would like to watch it on TV just cause it reminds me of like being a kid and it's all nostalgic and stuff. Uh, I should actually check after we get off here if there's any on TV because if there is, I'll probably just watch whatever one's on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I like never flip on my my cable, so I have no idea. I rarely playing. do anymore, and if I do, it's fights. Uh, you know, whether it's Bellator, which has an event tonight, or you know the UFC or El Rey Network. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, I would if I had the L Ray. That would be kind of cool to check out. But yeah, for the fights, yeah, I'd, I'll definitely turn on you know the TV for the purpose of watching fights and and you know stuff like that. But um, and sports really. But you know, I've kind of given up on you know winter sports right now because my Leafs are just complete balls right now. They decided that they're going to lose eleven straight, and you know, at one point in the season they were twelve games over five hundred, and now they're like five games under. Can you believe that? That's crazy. Like, how does that even happen? You know, so I've I've kind of given up on that. So like my TV really doesn't even turn on anymore. You know, unless I'm watching pay per view fights and you know shit like that. So I don't know, man. Friday the Thirteenth. It, it seems very odd because I haven't seen a lot of you know like usually on these type of days. You know, Friday the Thirteenth videos are everywhere and people are posting Friday the Thirteenth stuff. It's been a little bit. I'm thinking that people are just not on their computers today or just no one realizes it's Friday the Thirteenth. Kind of sad. No one cares anymore. Yeah, I've seen some stuff today, but it not like last, kind of like not like the last one. I remember last Friday the Thirteenth. I like I I don't re- like exactly remember when it was, but I just remember like an abundance of Friday the Thirteenth talk, you know, and not not so much today. But but then again, we are also you know geeking out on Skype and just talking back and forth. So you know. We're what planning you, our we're planning our night because we're going on a date. So, <laughs> <laughs> what did what did you do this week? Uh, oh man, this week was just ridiculous. Um, so so busy, so busy. We've got the uh, the Canada Winter Games in Prince George, my home city, hosting them, and it, it's a really really big deal. So, um, and of course I work at an airport, so we did like a million charters yesterday, and just you know, I was working on my day off. And just for free because I'm salary, so I'm not even getting paid all day. You know, I got off work at 4.30 in the morning as on my regular schedule, went back to work at 3 and was there till 12. So, um, and, and yeah, I did it for free because, you know, I just wanted to help out. But it was a ridiculous day. Like, I'm actually sore and, like, really kind of worn out today. Um, If people can, you know, hear that in my voice, I'm just not as peppy as I usually am. <laughs> I'm I'm really sore like my back is killing me but yeah this week was just hectic man just a lot of prep you know leading up to it and just I kind of forgot about things I almost forgot about what show we were doing this week you know which is ridiculous yeah um and, and just yeah just a lot of busy like it wasn't a bad week the weather has been really warm here like it's you know of course we're hosting the winter games here but it's been pissing rain in February in you know where i live is really weird but it's super warm and it, so it was nice to work in but uh <laughs> i don't know man it's just been one of those weeks but nothing bad though i, I got nothing really to complain about so how about you 
Well, I actually been going through a bunch of stuff at work, you know, dealing with inspection and stuff. So I tried to like tune out when I would get home. I didn't really watch a whole lot of movies this week. Um, but you know, I have a big list of shit that we're going to talk about next week. By the way, that show will be another what we watched for those of you who are interested. But this week, I actually popped in the uh, Twin Peaks uh, season one. I get, I have the gold box, the the thing that was released on DVD. I know it recently got a Blu-ray edition, which you have. Um, but yeah. I decided to finally give this show a shot. I, you know, I've heard a lot of good things about it over the years, and I know that they're re uh, like sequelizing the show or whatever soon yeah. so i decided you know now's the time to probably start watching some of these i, I believe i got like five episodes in the mm-hmm. i believe the pilot is like an hour and a half long it's like a goddamn movie um so that was kind of weird um but yeah i mean i watched i believe five episodes i'm not really sure what the hell's going on um seems like there's just so much intertwined <laughs> shit happening um, yeah you, you have to really get start watching a bunch of episodes to start getting it's a weird show Definitely. Yeah. Um, but I was enjoying it from what I've seen. I, and I really enjoyed the pilot because there was a really dramatic scene um, where the, uh, you know, for those of you who don't know, it's about a uh, town called Twin Peaks who is dealing with a murder, a tragic murder of a young girl. And when her parents find out, I found that scene to be like just, you know, gut wrenching. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm liking it so far. It, it's great, man. It, it it was just such a shame it wasn't on longer. Like, you know, there's a couple seasons and you just really want it to fucking go on for – it's just one of those shows that kind of – it kind of grabs you and just pulls you in and you just want to watch episode to episode, you know? Well, like it's I- one of those really odd TV shows and there's just so much weirdness going on. It, it, it's a really different type show. It's very cool. Yeah, and – you know, like you said, it just pulls you into its world. I mean, it really yeah, it does really a does. great job of like setting up a world to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we got a good representation of that or like um, kind of like a contrast to that because we have an outsider, this weird detective who's coming into this world. And we're kind of with him as the viewer of like, oh, like what's going on in this town? Um, so I thought that that was pretty cool. You know how how we're following you know, his investigation and stuff. And we're kind of learning as he is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, for some weird reason there, I was expecting a Texas chainsaw massacre. <laughs> <Come in right there. laughs> yeah. yeah I don't know what it was. It was just like that semi pause. I was like, Oh no, Jeremy for Texas chainsaw massacre. That sucks. <laughs> I didn't really think of that. That's kind of funny. Um, but yeah, um, I do believe that Jeremy does explain why he's not on the show again. He does. Uh, because no, nah, yeah, he officially quit the show. Just to let people know out there. So, no, I'm just joking. He's, um, yeah, he's just busy. So, unfortunately, which kind of sucks because it's kind of. It, it, I think this uh, this show that we've actually had planned before is kind of plagued with problems. Like it is. <laughs> we lost this show for the people out there that don't know. We lost uh, about the first half of this show that we were going to record. Uh, obviously, this time last year, we had my bloody Valentine and the remake planned, and I think we got roughly an hour, hour and a half into the show or something rather, like, and we lost the whole recording. So we ended up never even reviewing the movies. Yeah. And of course, so that's all lost in translation and it really sucks because we had this great Charles band conversation and, mm. and then this year comes along and we're all ready to go. And then Jeremy can't make the show. And I'm like, wow, it's something about my bloody Valentine and the remake, I guess that just doesn't want to be discussed. 
you know, and oddly enough, it is Friday the 13th, so who knows? By the end of the show, maybe something will happen. Yeah, we'll lose the entire recording. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, right? So, I don't know. I think that's kind of interesting, but... uh, That was exactly about a year ago, too, you know? Um, Almost to the day, yeah. Yeah, doing the uh, My Bloody Valentine original and remake. That was going to be our first um, remake versus original show, uh, like we did with the Toolbox Murders. Um, That was going to be the first one, but, you know, we just lost that show and then i believe the week after we was going to re-record it but then it didn't really make sense because it was it wasn't valentine's day anymore um so we just yeah, was it, like let's just wait till next year it was totally one of those things where it was a show that we just couldn't re-record it didn't make any sense mm-hmm. you know i i, I just would have felt odd doing that show again but such a shame though it's such a shame but ah you know whatever we're getting to it this year kind of half-assed i guess well not half-assed three-quartering it i don't know how you want to put it, me and you. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wish Jeremy all the best for what he's doing right now because, you know, he's, he's got a busy schedule too. So we all can't make these, I guess. Well, I guess me and you can. Yeah, I haven't Jer- missed one. I don't know about no, you. Know what? I'm, just, I'm giving Jer- one, you know? I'm giving Jeremy too much credit, man. I'm just going to, I'm just going to call him out and say he's a pussy. Yeah. I'm <laughs> no, just joking. <laughs> no, I love the little bastard, but, uh, you know. It sucks, man. I, I know what schedules and stuff. Like, I mean, it happened to me in the last couple of weeks. Like, certain things happened came to me up too. and I just, you know, it's just, it's just unfortunate that we record in such a small time frame during, we have seven days, but we really only have one day and a small time frame. Yeah. You know, and if we can't meet that, then we actually can't record. And it's actually truly amazing that we haven't missed more shows, to be honest. Yeah. Not only. Um, are we all dealing with jobs in life? You know, Jeremy's a, a student. Um, I have a job. You have a job. You have a wife. Um, I have a dog. Um, you have two dogs. <laughs> but anyway. I have three um, dogs, three a dogs. wife, and a business. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we, we all have that stuff going on. But, you know, on top of that, throw another wrench in our game plan. And we all live on different times. Yeah, exactly. And that actually, you know, sometimes it doesn't seem like it's the biggest deal. But then when you're talking about, you know, times like eight, nine at night, it, it's it's different. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's eight o'clock my time, it's 11 o'clock your time. Yeah. Like There's a big, big difference in time right there. So one yeah. of the big things is that your work schedule is completely hectic, as is mine. So those mm-hmm. two things almost make it impossible to even have a podcast because – you know, I, I worked work, you know, typically the weekends and you have these weird schedules. You're you work night shift as well. So, it, you know, it's just a crazy complex like issue to try to get a one. Like literally this is the only time that we have like in this week because whether it's, you know, tomorrow uh, I either have something, you know. So we originally had our shows on Sundays. And we had to move it because of your work change, change or whatever. Um, but it's like we, when that happened, we picked a day, and this is literally the only day that mm-hmm. we can even do it. There's usually only one day that we. Well, all this was actually, in. but the, you, you, I think you also forget this was also created to be the time and the day too, because I think Jeremy doesn't necessarily have classes on Friday. I think is what it is. And I, by chance, just, I have Fridays off. So you actually had to rearrange your schedule to get Fridays off just so we could do this. Otherwise there wasn't, there actually was no days Yeah, because the way my schedule is. Mm -hmm. And I used to have Mondays and Tuesdays off until like, this was the only day that like I was able to switch 
because these guys, ha- this was like the only day they could do it with Moods' Mood's schedule changed. So I had to move my days. And it's just a clusterfuck, really. I think Jeremy was just like, you know, since we this show got fucked up last year, of course you guys have to go through it and do it. And it was literally like a last minute thing with him, he said too, right? Because mm-hmm. he, he messaged us, I think, on Wednesday night or something and said, hey guys, like... <laughs> We have this meeting for this film, and uh, like I have to be there for it. And I'm like, well, okay. Yeah, and the it, thing it, was, we didn't. I didn't even know when we was if we was gonna do it early in the morning today or regular time well, until that, like last night or the night before or something. I know. I I didn't even I didn't even really have time to even answer. Like you, like I would literally was on my way out the door, and I'm like, I don't know. And work was just insane, and there was no, there was no way that I, w- I was going to be able to get up that early in the morning because you got to remember I'm three hours well behind you, right? Yep. So that's nine for me, and I wasn't getting home till late, and I was like, oh god, I'll just be a fucking zombie, a piece of shit. Yeah, just no energy. Like I I'm still exhausted. My well, body hurts. Even that <laughs> so. one episode, you could tell that you was off your game because you had stayed up all night. I forget what episode that was, but it was a few back. Oh yeah. Yeah, I think I'd got off night shift and I just stayed up and recorded. It was and... when we first transitioned to this schedule. It was originally mm. more in the morning when we was Yeah, in yeah. This. Actually listening back to that episode was quite funny actually because it just you could I can tell that I was totally just you know, just out in La La Land for a lot of the conversations, but some of it actually turned out pretty good. Though I was like, yeah. but I just my brain wasn't functioning like it usually does, but ah, the life of a of a podcaster, I guess, right? <laughs> So, uh, anyways, uh, we we must have a little bit of news, right? Uh, we do have some news, and I feel like since it's fitting, we should start with this. There was an interview done with uh, Brad Fuller and Andrew Form of Platinum Dunes, uh, and they were, you know, obviously Friday the 13th got pushed back. Uh, we talked about that, I believe, on the last show. But uh, they, they kind of interviewed him about, you know, what's going on with it. You know, today's Friday the 13th, it's fitting. And, um... Basically, uh, one of the questions that was asked was, you know, uh, about Jason in general, and uh, they answered with, uh, there's always been this supernatural aspect to these movies. It defies logic that you see Jason get killed in every movie, including ours, the 2009 one, and then he comes back, and no one ever really investigated what that is. So something that's, I think, about a little bit, it is supernatural, but what is he? Those are the things that we're trying that we're toying with. Nothing has been decided, but those type of things. How does he always come back? Hmm. You know what? I don't know. It, does does it sound to you like it's almost overthinking it? Um, a little bit. Like I mean, if you start exploring that, I think you, I mean you completely take in a different direction. I mean, we just kind of accept when another sequel come when it came out in the original franchise that you know Jason comes back and and it was always done in interesting ways like a lightning bolt or you know whatever it was right and uh but well, you just never really questioned it well see the thing is i actually did question it a little bit all the well, time well i mean i i mean i guess you do a little bit but, but i mean we kind of I never accepted really dwelled that on there it. was something there like there was something supernatural but we didn't really care what it was we just accepted that it was there and you know hey it is what it is he just hey man, back. He did something i always chalked it up to him loving his mummy so much that you know you know no matter how you killed him and he'd always come back to avenge your death and you know <laughs> i don't know well the thing that <laughs> i found interesting about what he said there 
um, was that they never investigated it. And I'm like, well, Friday the 13th Part 9 was pretty much exactly that. It investigated the mythos. It, you know, talked about why he came back, why he was such an unstoppable force. It it literally explained it. Yeah, yeah. So Yeah, I mean, totally. I mean, there is that. And, and you know, it might not have been a bad, bad idea either because, you know, I've always defended Friday 9. I know a lot of people don't like it and stuff. And for obvious reasons, like the body jumping thing, it's not really Jason most of the time, even though it like is, it's, it's still more Jason than Friday five is, but you know, it's, it's not, we don't see his physical Mm -hmm. presence. Um, but the ideas there on like a Voorhees can only kill a Voorhees and you know, the, um, you know, the, 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 you know, through a Voorhees, you know, be reborn or or whatever, like all that stuff I thought was pretty solid. So Maybe but the problems doing. with that, like I, I always thought watching that film because I, I, I like that premise too. Like a Voorhees can only kill a Voorhees, but at the same time, where does that come from? Why? Why can a Voorhees only kill a Voorhees? I mean, I understand that they explain that, and you're like, okay, yeah, you know, the child or, or a Voorhees can only kill, you know, a family member, and it's like, well, okay. But I mean, the thing is, there's questions for everything. Yeah. De- definitely, but I, I mean, I think that was like the basic way of kind of explaining it, almost yeah, like yeah. the thorn yeah. in uh, Halloween. Yeah. Um. So I think maybe what they're thinking about doing is is trying something similar to that, like like investigating the backstory of of Jason and why he's such an unstoppable force. Could be bad, could be good, but to me, at least, it sounds like they're they're at least brainstorming instead of just making another friday the 13th like the remake was just another friday the 13th they didn't really add anything to it or really detract so i mean you, I, I like it for what it is but um i almost kind of want to see this one to try to do a little little different but keep it the same um they actually end up going on to talk about david bruckner who is you know the guy that's behind this this film he did the uh segment in vhs with the uh the first segment the first vhs film the first segment with the uh succubus which i loved um but he said uh you can talk to him him being david bruckner about a scene that's happening on page 18 and they can tell you what the ramifications are on page 82 the way he spoke about the movie was brilliant his segment in vhs was so scary and unsettling and felt very real so often you see characters do things and you just roll your eyes and say how could they be so stupid and in that movie i didn't feel that one bit the dread is very is a very hard thing, a very hard emotion to convey on film, and he did it so well. Uh, that spoke volume to us. Bruckner got fuller thinking about Jason's unquestioned ability to die and reanimate in each Friday the 13th film. What he sees now as the franchise's unique attribute in film history, people traditionally want to understand exactly how and why things happen. And yet something so odd happens at the end of these movies and no one seems to question it some people come to the movie with the expectation that the real villain will be killed and come back and yet and yet we never toyed with that notion if someone noticed could friday the 13th earn its dr loomis that uh you know the halloween series in the now psychologist fuller approves of the comparison those are the things that we're asking ourselves and we'll see what comes of it Mm-hmm. So, you know what this kind of reminds me of a little bit is Adam Green's Hatchet. And by the second film, we kind of learn a little bit of the history of Victor Crowley in terms that yeah. he's a repeater. Like yeah. he he will return 
even if he's killed, he will return every night like he always does, you know, because he's stuck in like a loop. That kind of almost sounds like what they're doing here. But I like the idea that like they say nobody notices that he just keeps coming back. What if somebody did notice? I think they mean that as in a character. Like what if somebody did notice that that Jason um, like everybody's kind of blinded to the fact that, that that Jason is, you know, this unstoppable force, except for maybe a certain character. And then they mention like their own Dr. Loomis, which I believe is essentially Tommy Jarvis, you know. I think that he was kind of the Friday the 13th's Dr. Loomis. Uh, yeah, we discussed, uh, you know, Tommy Jarvis' character many times. And I feel that he's the exception, I, I feel. Maybe it's overlooked a little bit, but um, I always felt that uh, Tommy Jarvis kind of has noticed that Jason's back, right? Because he's in multiple movies. How could he not, right? Yeah, he's the one that's telling everybody, like, look, I'm telling you, Jason's back. And everybody's like, Jason's dead, dude. Let yeah. it go. Yeah, so, I mean, essentially, it's been done. You know, like, there is a character that is, you know, aware of the situation. You know, it's very self-aware, and he's just like, dude, he's fucking back. Mm-hmm. You know, this happened, you know, <laughs> a couple times. As a matter of fact, and Does, you know, of, of course, everyone's playing stupid, like, no, he's fucking dead, you know, he can't come back kind of thing. But I mean, it's been, you know, it's there. It's definitely been, you know, focused on. It To me, it sounds like they are more in the sequel territory, which is like a good thing to me, um, because they're talking about Jason and the history of Jason. Um, and if I'm going to take away one thing from this article, I'm going to take away that Bruckner at least seems to be really interested in who Jason is as a character and um, the history of Jason. So that's good that he's so in- invested in kind of the quality of the film. I mean, I mean, that's not really a bad approach. I mean, at least it's honest. It's something different or yeah. at least if at least if it, it, it might not be different because we've kind of seen it done mm-hmm. a, a few times, but at least it's something that's not just another Friday the 13th, which I would be okay with, but if we're going to delay it, we might as well delay it for some interesting reasons. And the final thing in the article which, you know, I'm happy that they at least have their head in this area too. Um Brad Fuller stressed to the magazine that was doing the interview um, that he has an, a desire to keep core values intact. It will involve Jason Voorhees. It will involve kids having sex and smoking weed, and they will be at camp. <laughs> awesome! All the all the essentials for a great movie. Yeah, but he yeah. did not stress on naked boobies, though. That's that's actually very disappointing. Because yeah. if that was me, I would definitely stress that because you know that you know that makes eyeballs get big. Like, oh yeah, boobs. It's like we've never seen them before, right? Mm-hmm. Really, boobs. Uh, they're gonna bring back that Voorhees chick, but she'd be all old and shit now, though. So, but yeah, who knows? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that kind of wraps it up on that article. I thought it was pretty interesting that that came out on Friday the Thirteenth. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm, 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 you know, I'm hopeful. Well, what it's not say? by coincidence. Let me let me tell you that. Oh, obviously, but you know, <laughs> I thought I, you know, it's cool that they're playing to the to, to the history and the mm-hmm. you know novelty of it all you know you know i would usually make my joke that like you know do this history story and take it to a boat but they tried that once in friday and friday the 13th and you know the boat wasn't really overly the best movie i think the boat scenes probably are the best part of the film but 
That's just my joke. I always say take everything to a boat because yeah, because yeah, but, but when, when you say when you say it, you sound really Canadian because it sounds like you're saying a boot. Boat, a boot and boat. <laughs> How is that even clo- remotely close? Oh, the listener, the listeners will hear it. They will what? hear it in the tone. Trust when me. I'm saying boat, no, it, it's because you're saying a boat. Oh God! There you go. <laughs> it's two separate words. I'm not saying a boot. It's I know. A I know. Boat. It's funny. <laughs> it's funny. That is actually kind of funny. That's a good pickup. But yeah, but you know what I'm saying, though. But yeah. No, no, you know, I, I I can't wait till the day where we actually talk about all these films. Um, it, it's going to be really fun. We'll just kind of leave it at that for now. But mm-hmm. you know, Friday Friday eight. Like, there's just so much fun stuff to talk about. The different um. Uh, films in the series but after that we have a i guess a kind of an acquisition this is uh the quiet hour vision films has picked up the worldwide sales rights uh for this sci-fi thriller um i guess it takes place in post-apocalyptic england where a determined teenage girl must protect her protect her younger brother and defend her parents farm in a world occupied by alien invaders so uh, that is a new film that is going to be set- picked up by Vision, I guess. The setting is in a po- uh, post-apocalyptic world. A post-apocalyptic England world. England world with aliens. Wow. Okay. So they're getting extreme. That's pretty cool. Yep. After that, we have another acquisition. This is Art Exploitation Films. Are you familiar with this company at all? Yeah, I have a few films. Uh, <clears throat> I really highly recommend, like, um, uh, Ooh, Hidden in the Woods is a great film. Um, Memory of the Dead, I reviewed actually on Body Bags one time, which is a really interesting one. They, they're an interesting company because what they do is they release films like just from all different types of countries around the world, like kind of obscure type indie films and stuff. Mm-hmm. Really interesting though, because I like the way they do their spines. It actually tells you what country it's from. Oh, and they, they really do focus on random, random countries. It's pretty interesting. That's There's cool. another one called Toad Road. Uh, oh, that they, one got a lot of good reviews. Yeah, that one doesn't um, – I mean they don't release like a lot of horror films. They release all types of genres. Mm-hmm. But uh, those are the three notable ones for me. But I actually don't have Toad Road. That's the one that I don't have. So, Well, there is a new notable one and that is Cub. This film was a film that premiered at the Midnight Madness section of the 2014 Toronto International Film Festival and has went on to go to you know all the other festivals like Fantastic Fest um, – and it actually picked up, you know, quite a bit of awards for best director. Um, I believe uh, it, it had another, you know, award for best film. And I remember hearing a few reviews about uh, for it at the end of last year. Um, it is about a a uh, the story follows a introverted twelve year old boy as he is as he and his Cub Scout troop embark on a weekend camping trip into the woods. But a evil psychopath aided by his feral young protege wreck bloody havoc on the boys and their troop leaders. Hmm. Uh, th- I've seen some pictures to this one, some like stills. Uh, I've been kind of following this one for a few months now after I've seen it getting so much 
kind of a positive reaction. Um, and it just looks cool. Like the poster looks cool. The, the, like this feral young boy with like a stump on his head looks like really cool. It's like a tree bark or something like a mm-hmm. tree bark mask. Uh, it, it just looks really cool. So, um, I'm looking forward to that one. They plan a theatrical release in the summer of 2015, obviously limited, uh, with a DVD and VOD release later in the fall. So where's it from? I actually don't even know where it's from. Because I'm assuming it's foreign because pretty much everything, like I said, is from random, random countries. Like um, Hidden in the Woods I talked about was from Chile, you know, and um, I, I don't know. I can't remember where Toad Road is from. And I think um, Memory of the Dead is from some odd country, too. I, I can't remember, but um, I, that sounds awesome. You know, it's weird. It sounds familiar. You've like probably s- seen it around. I mean, it has a real, like I said, it has a really cool poster um, mm. and the mask is just the mask is dope. It's really I, original. I and- definitely have seen this because that was ringing bells. Like just everything you were saying, I was like, okay, that sounds very, very familiar. And it's from Belgium, by the way. From Belgium. See, that's that's what I'm talking about. Like the, they're releasing stuff from all over the place. And it's really cool. That's that's cool. Like you know, it seems like Toronto Film Festival. Like they always kind of not exploit these films, but they always you know get these films out there. They always accept them into the festival, and they always seem to do well. Mm-hmm. I love that festival is great, man. I, I love they festivals in general. Films. Like that's kind of my one goal within the next, you know, couple of years is to hit up one of these um, festivals because it, it's like it's the time where you just see everything that's going to come out next year because you know the festival circuit lasts so long and then you normally don't see it, um, you know, hitting DVD and Blu-ray and you know VOD until the following year. So so normally it's like everything that hits the festivals in like 2014 you don't see until late 2014 or early 2015 and mm-hmm. it drives mm-hmm. me crazy one of these years i actually want to see all the films that come out during the year well you know what? i mean you're so close to toronto man like i mean that's such a great film festival just head up there get your passport and head up there yeah like a ton closer than i am it's only yeah. you're like literally like four hours away three hours away so driving it's really close i mean Maybe. If I, i'd go up there i mean I know people that have actually. Uh, I remember when, um, uh, oh, what film was playing? Um, oh, I can't even remember, but they couldn't get into it. They were trying to get into this film, and it was like so, so busy. Mm-hmm. Like that festival is nuts. Like you really have to plan ahead. To yeah, get into well, some maybe of the films one that are day we there. can have our press badges and actually be <laughs> press and go in. That would be so cool. Yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so after that we have uh, – this was kind of funny because like I seen sites posting this um, one morning and it was like – it was a it was a poster and it was like uh, the f- sales art for Martyrs um, and it said something along the lines of the ultimate horror movie and it was just a sales art like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre thing we've seen. And then like three hours later, I believe it was bloody disgusting, somebody broke that – oh yeah, that sales art. Oh yeah, that's not just sales art. The film's actually done. Like the film is completed and nobody knew about it. Everybody just thought it was like some sales art. Um so yeah, Martyrs the remake, it's produced by Blumhouse, you know, Jason Blum's company, responsible for like Insidious and uh, you know, tons of films. Um they made a Martyrs remake. I I mean the ultimate horror movie is such a ballsy statement. Uh you know, it, I have not seen the original they're re- Martyrs. They're, refer- they're referring to really. They're calling the remake the ultimate horror film. Yeah. Oh man. 
I, I don't know, man. That, it's a weird choice. It's a weird film to remake. Well, that's for the, sure. The because, the, was, because the Martyrs was such a huge, it, it had such a major effect on a lot of people. Like, even mm-hmm. if you didn't like the film, you remembered it. You know, it was one of those ones you're like, fuck, man. It was, it's a hard watch at times. And yeah, I, I'm, I got to say though, man, I'm a little curious on see what they're going to, what they're going to do with the remake because, I mean, they can't dumb it down. I mean, really, I, I think I'm, that's I'm, everybody's I'm, fear. I think it is because, like, I mean, the the original film is. I, I will admit it; it's a little, it's a tough to watch. It's tedious, man, because it's it really grit. It, it gripes on you, you know. You're just like, oh god. And uh, I, I don't want to give anything away because I know you haven't seen it, but I just don't understand remaking that movie at all. I don't well, understand. I mean, I understand why it's being remade because it's a it's a French film. It's actually Canadian uh, France collabo. It's half Canadian, and um. But, you know, from the subtitles, <laughs> you know, I, the content is hard to do, man. It just I, doesn't. I don't think it works a second time unless they completely do it differently. I don't know. The thing is, I saw a point to remake this four years ago. Like it, this, this thing has been talked about being remade forever. And it's like, I think you just you waited too long. I, I don't think it has the pop that it would have if like, it would have been like a next year type thing, like where you see what like let the right one in or something like that, where it's like they take this um, hugely popular foreign film that is popular with hardcores and then they remake it for a larger American audience. Like it, it that that's what they do when they take these foreign films and remake them into English with English actors and, and stuff like that. It's mm-hmm. to widen, you know, it's to tap into the audience that wouldn't have been hardcore enough to see it otherwise. The problem is, is that I just don't see the point anymore because it's been it's been too long. Obviously, the point, the, the I don't see it going with that point. The point where it's like let's make it for this other audience that that wasn't hardcore enough to see the original and then we'll get some of the hardcores in too because it's still fresh in their mind um this one i don't know man it's just like a weird choice especially for blumhouse um because well, maybe it's also because you know maybe maybe a lot of people have forgot about it now you know and they're just like you know and a lot of people don't even know about it so like this martyrs film comes out and like oh check out this new horror film <laughs> but we know that it's definitely you know, older and remake. I don't know. I don't, I, I just, th- this seems like a very odd choice to me to remake, you know, like obviously your reasons are very valid too, but I just think it's just laziness. Just watch the original. I'm not know. even going to get into that argument again, but I, I disagree with, with it being pure laziness. I do, you know, a little other info that we got from it was that the uh, directors are the go Goetz brothers. I don't know who they are, but they did uh, 2013's uh, film Scenic Route. Uh, so they're, they're directing the Goetz brothers, who did Scenic Route in 2013. Have you seen that film? I don't think I have actually. To yeah. be honest, it sounds familiar, but I, I might be thinking Route 66 too. But Route 666. I mean, <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't think I've seen it actually, but I think I know what it is though. So. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things. It's just like it came out of nowhere. I always find it weird when in in like today's time where we don't even know a film's made. Like it's just crazy now. Like that used to happen all the time when I was a kid. Next up, we have a official kind of word on the Halloween film. 
so apparently we have some directors attached, and they are the same duo that created the Saw uh, films. Uh, I believe four, five, and six, or I think it was like four, five, and six, maybe seven. Also, they wrote those films, and mm-hmm. they also wrote the Feast trilogy, I believe, um, and a couple other things. Piranha Three Double D. Uh, they are attached to write the new Halloween film. Uh, they also wrote The Collector and The Collection. Forgot about that one. Uh, this is for, of course, Dimension Films. And, yeah. It's quite, they, it's quite a mixed bag there. Yeah, it, it really is. Because they've shown that they can do, like, like really clever stuff. Like in Feast. Like, Fe- the first Feast film is really clever. Then they show that they can do, like, really not-so-clever stuff with Feast 2, 3, and... Uh, Although, Pro, you have to admit, in Feast 2... In Feast 2, the baby part had me fucking rolling. I was Yeah, dying but it's laughing. not clever. It's <laughs> no, just, no, no, it's not, but it's funny. It's fun and funny. Yeah, I, I like the Feast films. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, like, not only did they come out and say that these guys are our writers, but then they said, it's not a remake, it's not a reboot, and it's not a reimagining. It's a recalibration. You know what? These guys need to go re-fuck themselves. <laughs> no, I believe this was uh, Dimension who came yeah, This is this. ridiculous, man. <laughs> now it's got everybody just shaking their head going, stop with the re-words. Well, well, I Recalibration? Recalibration just means, you know, you know, it's a bad pun, but, like, they're just reloading on this film is what they're doing. I mean, if you're not going to call it a remake or a reboot or a sequel, what the fuck is it? Well, they never specifically say it's not a sequel, though. But okay, but you know, I, I'm pretty sure. Well, didn't they say before that they weren't going to continue along the storyline from you know the Rob Zombie films? Well, I'll get to that in a second. But I, you know, so if, always... okay, okay. If that is, if that is a statement and that's a fact, then it's not a sequel. And if it's not, that's a not reboot, true. That's or... not true. It could still be a sequel without following Rob Zombie's films. Well, no, uh, completely. Well, I mean, not I mean, not a sequel in you know that has anything to do with that. I mean, basically, I mean, we can we still consider Halloween three season of the witch to be a sequel in the Halloween. Uh, you know franchise, what? That's but a it's not recalibration. That's what that is. That, that's what that's I a perfect definition. I that already, is recalibration, dude. I already wrote this down in the comment section. I said the same thing. I said my definition of recalibration is them doing exactly what they did from the original franchise with Season of the Witch. They're going to just make a whole different Halloween story. You know, they're just going to make – they're they might... not going to do that, right? We know they're not going to do that. They're going to do a Michael Myers story. So, no, but no, no. I'm, I'm just saying they're, – no, they're going to use my – I even said they're going to use Michael Myers in the story. But they're just going to do a totally different thing. He's not after Laurie. He's not after any – it's going to be a fucking different story. <laughs> They're going to create a whole new Michael story. Say maybe he's a bank teller. I don't know. I'm using examples that are ridiculous because the whole idea of recalibration is ridiculous. I think that they're they're going to create a new story. You know, using well, the Michael character. That's it. Well, yeah, you know? that's probably what they're going to do. But in my that that's like Chainsaw Four, or you know, like to me, it's just that's what those are. Those are just sequels that are not directly connected. Well, back in those days, they didn't have fancy words like recalibration. You know, Hunter's going, well, I know what that means. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it means different things to different people. It means, you know, different things to different people. It's like, fuck, man. When 
when uh the re the, when the remake word came out right uh remake was you know obviously used before you know with uh john carpenter's the thing and the fly and all that shit and then remake was used for other things and then people were kind of ashamed to use the word remake so they started saying well it's not really a remake it's more because they over remade films it's more of a reboot um so then everybody starts saying no 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 it's not a remake it's a reboot and then people start getting afraid of that word too so they say it's a reimagining it's it's a we're we're taking some elements of the film and we're reimagining it to me it's all the fucking same it's always been the same that's why i hate when jeremy says well it's not a remake it's more of a reboot it's all the fucking same you're taking a story and to you're, be honest and reimagining is the worst because reimagining the way i see that word is that you're taking the basic elements of a, of a story and you're just you're taking those elements that make up the story and putting it into a brand new setting and brand new and creating a whole new story out of it. That's reimagining something based off these characters. Well, see, a reboot, I, I think a reboot and remake, these... reboot and remake to me are the same fucking thing. No, 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 no. What I'm saying is they're all the same, but technically they could have their own each each own definition. But the problem is, we just they they all mean the same thing in Hollywood. And what to okay. me, a remake would be like a psycho film, like the psycho film. A re- reboot would be more of like the Friday the Thirteenth film, where it's kind okay. of like you take the idea and you just do it again. But okay. it's kind of a reimagining. Okay, I franchise. think of reimagining as Mother's Day. You have the original film, a reimagining of you know yeah, they take that, that name, reimagine. They just take. You know the general, it's Mother's general Day, premise, it's, and they, they uh, my the bloody whole... Valentine remake. It's um, it, yeah. There's there's plenty of them. Well, I wouldn't go as far to say my bloody Valentine remake, but Mother's Day is the remake is completely or not the remake. You know the reimagination. It is. It's like a totally different movie. Well, theoretically, I, I, it's a different fucking well, movie. I with haven't the same seen name. the original Mother's Day. It's like John Carpenter's The Thing. God damn it! I can't even have these arguments. If you haven't seen the fucking movies, but. But it's a great example because but the original the, movie you say is the thing is kind of like that too, right? What's that? A reimagining of the thing. Oh, that's a great example. That's a great example. Yeah. So obviously, these words have we could actually make them have unique meanings and apply to certain films. But the problem is, is that that's not what's typically happening. They attach these words to films that don't fit that category. So what a remake is is the same thing as a reboot. Is the same thing as a reimagining. Is the same thing as a recalibration. It's you take a story that exists already and you redo it. That is mm. what it is, and that's why I'm not gonna, you know, remake, reboot, reimagination, recalibration. Next, they're gonna take this motherfucking re to the streets, and it's gonna start re-upping things. That's the next word in line. Yeah, it's and gonna be there's, like, oh, there's plenty of other ones. Remaking. You said an earlier. We're, we're saying re-upping. You said one earlier too, reloading. Like that'll be there next. Like it, it's ridiculous because you never heard reboot. You know, it was always remake and then reboot came along because it's like, well, we're not remaking it. We're rebooting it. It's it's like it's rebooting the franchise. But the fucking another problem with the reboot word is that it never fucking works. You reboot yeah. it. You remake it to re- restart the franchise and then you end it. It never works. It never mm-hmm. restarts the franchise. It never does. And it pisses me off because they keep calling it a reboot because, you know, they don't want to say remake. 
And that is kind of their idea, I guess, to Why don't they just you know, get make a new themselves and make a fucking sequel. But just make a sequel to The problem like, with that is is that I'm not gonna lie, dude. Leprechaun two is not a sequel. Leprechaun three is not a sequel. It's a name only sequel. So I don't really care about the technicality of like, oh, does it have a number next to it? I just don't like the idea of re fucking telling the same story over and over again because it gets annoying. You know, just tell a different story. It doesn't have to be a direct sequel. I prefer that it is, but just don't give me another fucking Friday the 13th origin story Mm -hmm. or another Michael Myers origins. If they fucking do another Michael Myers origin story, I'm going to kill myself. Yeah, it just just really depends, you know, like, you know, with the Leprechaun. Yeah, they're basically taking that same character, uh, Leprechaun, and just kind of putting him in a new setting and just creating like new mythologies. And yeah, it's kind of like kind of reinventing the story with every sequel quote unquote you know mm-hmm. yeah you know I that's mean, kind of what they're doing i mean in that you know you, in that case i'm totally cool with that i mean this is how i feel it's kind of like recalibration that's kind of applies to what i was saying before you know i think with part three you know they don't have to remake you know just forget about season of the witch but recalibration are just gonna use take those elements and just do what they did with leprechaun you know, just start creating new things. Like, if why not? Just cut just, out the put, origin put, put pen story. Pen paper and just create. Put your fucking mind yeah, to it. That, you can I'm do something. I'm fine with that too. I do like continuity, but if you're gonna just tell another story to kind of disconnect what you did previously, in like for for example, like Rob Zombie's films, like say you don't want to follow up a sequel to that because they were so unique, right? They were really had Rob Zombie's stamp on them, so it's kind of hard to actually even you know make a sequel to that when you don't have Rob Zombie. So the idea is like, well, we can't really make a sequel. Let's just make another Halloween film. We'll have Michael Myers. We'll have, you know, him in this Haddonfield. There's a bunch of new people or whatever. You know, maybe it's somebody's relative, like how they did originally in the films. Okay, but then let's continue from that. Let's continue from whatever story you establish next. Let's not, let's stop hopping around and creating new, like, storylines and and timelines. It annoys me. Um Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm cool if they like, for example, the Friday the 13th remake, if you would cut off that beginning origins part of it, you know, the 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 Jason's mom and shit, it would 20- just be another sequel. It would just mm-hmm. be another Friday the 13th film. Of course. Yeah. The first 25 minutes, oddly enough, is the best part of the movie, though. It is. It is. But I'm saying <laughs> if you even cut out the shorter length of time where it's Jason, um, Jason's mom. Yeah, and he, she, you know, she, we see her get beheaded and stuff. If you cut that out and you cut him finding his mask out, oh, completely, it's a sequel. Completely, it is. Yeah, I, and, to- I totally agree with that. So that's almost one where it was completely pointless to remake because it's mm. it's like you just did the same fucking thing that they've always done, except for you retold the origin story, but you didn't even change it. It was exactly the same. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> I know. This this whole thing, I just. <sighs> I, I know this is going to get talked to death and everyone has their own opinions on it, but it's like, I'm, I, I am curious to see what they actually come out with. I am. If too, it actually no does what, materialize, if it does materialize, curious. cause it just, okay, there's people are getting attached to this, but it's like, holy fuck, man. Well, nobody's actually been attached except for these saw guys, but exactly. if you remember before back, well, I just the, said they're starting to attach people to this. Yeah. Yeah. But right. if you remember before though, there was a lot of people attached to it. Patrick Lucier, who we'll be talking about yeah. later and, uh, Todd farmer who did my bloody Valentine remake. 
were attached to this film. They had a script. The script has been online. It was going to be a combination of a sequel to Rob Zombie's film, but taking it back to the roots of the original film. Um, so those guys are no longer involved. Um, it's also, they, they bloody disgusting went and, you know, got some exclusive report here that said Halloween is not a remake and it won't follow the 2007 remake or its sequel. Also confirmed that it will not be in 3D and it will not be uh, Patrick Lussier and Todd Farmer who were originally developing. So we just got a but, whole lot of things that it's but not. But we can that. confirm that Tom Atkins is in the film and there's – no, I'm just joking. It, it should be. It should be. <laughs> it's awesome. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm always going to be interested if you tell me a Halloween or Friday the 13th film is being made. I'm a little less interested now. I, you know, and and it just saddens me that I'm almost fearing that day where we have a new Elm Street in production because I know that it's never going to be able to recapture what it once did. But at the same time, I'm just wishing there was some way to make it possible because I don't think I could go the rest of my life without another Freddy film. But I know that it's never going to be right. So it's like I'm pretty much forced to. Yeah, I mean, I that's one franchise that I would just love to see them just forget about that awful awful remake i mean i i legitimately hate that film i've told the story many times about me me my buddy dylan that went to see it in the theater and i'm like what'd you think of it and he's like oh, i liked it i'm like oh my god i fucking hated it so much <laughs> we got in this crazy fucking conversation about it but anyways um just forget about it for me it being my favorite franchise just forget about that shit and just kind of I'm, I'm cool with them just starting over <laughs> you know like recasting freddy and everything just a just re- remake i mean not even like another i don't know i don't i don't really know like i don't want to see a sequel to that one I think, I think you could do a sequel to that though man you just I mean, maybe, drop maybe everything you just don't thing. have to retell the origin and then no, 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 you just no, set definitely. it in like fucking part three territory where it's in a no it's i don't want to i don't want street kids i like I, that I idea i don't want to see like a like a full-on remake but i'm just like I think what I was getting at is more recasting. Yeah, you know? I don't want to see Jackie Earl Haley again. Let's try somebody else. I, yeah, let's get but I also don't want to Robert see Robert impersonator to do it. You know, since they kind of like the remake was, you know, very very similar to the the original film. It, there was a lot of elements there that were very similar, but I don't want to see them. You Too know, similar. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I know. And I don't want to see them like remake part two of the original franchise. I mean, I know you like that film. I I Great feel film. it doesn't. I feel I feel it doesn't work. Um, but uh, I mean, that's just my opinions. I mean, I don't hate the film by any means, mm-hmm. but I I just I find it such an odd and awkward sequel. It's very very awkward for me. It's weird, and it's also because it's like sandwiched in between the two best in the franchise, and it's like it's so fucking weird to me. Listen, the problem with that fucking. Elm Street remake, like, story-wise, there's a bunch of problems, but story-wise, they took the same fucking story, and they just, they retold it and changed a few things. Mm -hmm. Um, If they would, for example, like, do a sequel, and they would set it in, like, a uh, part three era where it's like, you know, oh, this is the last of Elm Street kids, and they're in a mental hospital. That's all you need. Write new characters, write a new story to that, but just set it there. Like, I I would be cool with that. But Mm. when you start, like, redoing actual scenes, like Freddy coming out of the fucking wall and stuff that's when you set yourself up for failure because it's not gonna be as good it's just not i know that scene's been talked about to death too about how bad it looks in the remake compared to the original and the original was you know that scene was done for four dollars 
Yeah. You know, they put all this money into this remake and it, it, it actually does. I'm not just saying it because I can't stand the movie. It actually doesn't look very good. It's you know, I would give awful. I would give props where props are due. Like if it looked good, I'd be like, well, that was, you know, that was cool. That was actually a really well done scene, but it doesn't look good. Mm. You know, it's just it's a fucking shitty film. And um, I don't know, man, just I would like to see them just, you know, they can do a sequel, just recast and just, you know, do whatever. But uh, I'm actually quite surprised that we've had no news about anything uh, Nightmare on Elm Street related. It's just so hard to do because they already know that they're not going to use Jackie Earl Haley again. And they know that that's one of the most important parts is Freddy. And they just don't know what really to do with it. I know. It just wasn't good. I mean, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, it's kind of a... It's a touchy, it's a touchy subject with me because it's my favorite franchise. And like I, you want to see it live on, but at the same time, you know that it's not going to be able to live on the way you precisely. Want. So it's like precisely, it just drives you insane. It's like this mental dilemma where you're like, well, I want another one. I want to see it live on. I want to see it, you know, be there for new people to discover it through this way. The same way I want Jason on the screen again. I want to see that world again. I want to see these cool dream sequences again. I want to see like the scariness again. But at the same time, I know know that it, they're not going to be able to do it without Robert England and we know that he's not coming back. Mhm. So it's exactly. like what the hell do you do? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I guess the only thing to do now is just make a Ghoulies 5. It's really the only thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> just got off topic but just, you know, continue a franchise. We were now. already off topic with the Elm Street talk anyway. Exactly. Uh, so after that, we have some Ash versus Evil Dead news. We have some casting. I don't know the name of the of the people they casted. Uh, at, what Dana De Lorenzo and like Ray Santiago. Um, anyway, Santiago will play Pablo, an idealistic immigrant who becomes Ash's loyal sidekick. And then we have, I guess, Pablo believes in Ash's heroism, even if Ash doesn't himself. Uh, then we have the female. Uh, I believe she's going to be like another sidekick or something. She's going to be like – she's like the chick character basically. Mm. She's the boobs? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so it looks like we won't be having a solo thing. It's going to be a multiple uh, casting hmm. like team. Team. It's like a team. Like they're his sidekicks basically. I have a feeling that this one is going to be really silly, dude. I'm I'm starting to get that Army of Darkness vibe with this, which is exactly what I don't want. Yeah, I don't know. I'll wait for it to to come out before I start judging this. I don't I don't really know. Like I hear these, you know, and read these things, and I'm just like, I don't know what to think half the time, man. I really don't. So yeah, I, I think mean, I've read things be... before. I've read things before, and I'm like, God, that sounds like shit. And then I, you know, watched it, and I'm like. Oh, what the fuck? That's actually pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> and then, yeah. It's... And then vice versa, right? And it's like, wow, that really, you know, sounds fucking awesome. And then you're like, oh, wow, See, that's not what I was. That's not what I read. That that's so. my problem with the Evil Dead series in general, though, is that um, it's just not what it was. Like, it, it's not a scary movie anymore. Like, it's just, and I feel like they they're that's the direction they're going. It's going to be like a half hour like horror comedy on stars. Um, that's why, like, I know you guys, like, don't love it, but to me, the, the, the reboot, or whatever the fuck they want to call it, like, it was hardcore. Recalibration? It, it, was, it was hardcore, and that's what I loved so much about it, was it, it, it was non-apologetic, and it was just horror. It was horror. 
and that's what I liked about it. There was, there was a lot of elements of that film I, I loved. I, I really enjoyed the fact that they made that movie, you know, practical effects and bloody as fuck. But, you know, there's certain things in a film that I just I can't get by. And, and the fact that I hated everybody in the movie. Yeah, like I, I really I have a hard time respecting and, and enjoying a film when I can't like you almost want to root for somebody. You know, you, there's always a party you're like, man, you know, I want that person, you know, and it kind of gets you into it a little more. Honestly, dude, I could care less if, you know, any, every, if anyone fucking died. I'm just like, yeah. it was driving I, me I, I nuts too, guys like watching that, that movie. I don't man. need good characters. Like, they, I do. To me, and they that, weren't that's bad the characters. That's the problem. Like, they were just, they were like Friday the 13th. Like, well, I disagree characters. though, man. Like even like you know the the lead, the girl. Like she, I mean, she's not a you know she's not bad per se, just because she has a drug problem and stuff. But you know, but I just didn't find her enjoyable. Like I mean, at least try to express that. You know, like okay, this person has some fucking issues. You know, and those type of people, and it, it, the way society is, you know, you kind of look down on people like that. You know, a lot of people do. It's just it's normal. I, I mean, I generally don't because I have pe- I've had friends with those same type of problems. So, you know, I. I Talking from experience, you know, you, you learn to deal with that type of things. But on a general basis, you, you hear about someone, you're like, oh, that person's got a drug problem. I'm like, oh, loser, piece of shit, you know, kind of thing. But, you know, I, I understand where people are coming from. But at the same time, it's like, man, just make her kind of likable. Well, you I know, don't just give her I, some I type of dialogue where you really want to wanna, you want to root for her a little bit. I, I don't and know. It, I don't know, man. I like I I see where you're coming from at the same time, but like I don't even like the characters in Evil Dead One. None of them are likable to me. Even Bruce Campbell, he wasn't Ash yet. He was just a, a random guy. Oh, but I liked. I I don't know, man. I just I I liked him. I I thought he was actually quite funny. I prefer to be honest, and I know it's probably not a popular opinion, but um, I I mean I love the original Evil Dead over the second one. Because yeah, I like the more because the original first one, the first film was meant to be a legitimate horror film. You know, it comes across campy now and over time and stuff just because of also because of the, the Bruce Campbell character of, of Ash and, yeah. you know, especially from the second one, you, you see that and you go back and you're like, okay, you kind of, you kind of see the campiness, but the original film was meant to be a legit horror, horror film. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it's, you know, at times it actually is kind of terrifying. Like it's got just fantastic. No, it's a scary movie, dude. You know, but then the second one kind of takes it to a different level. And, you know, I, I find it very curious that, you know, that a lot of people prefer the second one over the first one. It's just funner. That's what it is. It's it's more it's it's easier to rewatch. It's like I I would rather watch the original or the the sequel, but I do like the original one more. Not me, man. When I think of Evil Dead, I don't even. It's funny. Like I know this is very unpopular, but I I barely ever watch it. To be honest, like I prefer the first one so much more over the second one. I, I think I don't the know first one's a way better film, but I just I have more fun with the second one. Yeah, not me, man. I, I don't know. It's weird, but I, I know it's unpopular, and it seems like the first one's really slow. Like it's re- it's it's a really good film the first time you watch it, but I feel like I feel like on rewatch it's just too slow. Oh man, see, I love slow burn films. So. Me too. The first time I watch them, oh, perfect example just of recently is The Devil's Business. Like that movie is slow, but it's fucking good. I love watching them. But anyways, that's we're getting off topic again, but. Yeah. Um, After that, we have Housebound. I guess this is going to be remade by the New Line Cinema is remaking this. Is remaking what? Housebound. Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's news to me. No. Uh, okay, I don't get it. 
Well, okay, see, explain, hold explain on. this to me. Now, There's... this is throwing my fucking theory out the window. Now, I always blame it on people being lazy because I have no problem watching subtitled movies at 7 in the morning when I get home from work. Yeah, but it's not I have not no lazy. fucking problem. But I always use it as an excuse. You know, I'm just just to say something about someone that will not watch anything subtitled. You know, I'm just like, you're fucking lazy. You know, you're probably not. <laughs> you know, it's a little more derogatory than, you know, I'm not trying to be that derogatory. But uh, what the fuck is the point of this? This movie is brand new. It's in English. Uh, the, the comedy is completely different. You know, it, you know, being a Kiwi film. That how is that's this something like, that I don't really understand because I, I feel like this film only works because of the setting for one and just the tone of comedy that is obviously different from American comedy. It feels exactly like a lot of films that come from that that era, you know, from that area. You know, you you cannot sit here and tell me that movie does not have that type of Peter Jackson feel. It, it completely does, and that's why it works. The story isn't that good. Like, so if you're just gonna base it on a like remake it because it has a good story, is it's no because that's not what's good about the film. It's no, it's execution in in the basic. I think the the the. the the main reason why that movie works so well is because it does have a very simple story, but it's execution and it has yeah. all these twists and turns, but it is the characters within the story that sell this movie more than anything. The mom, the daughter, the fucking security guy, these characters are great and it's filled with twists and turns. And it's like, and it's that really underworld comedy. I don't know. I, I mean, you know, it's hard to relate to anything, you know, over there, but at the same time we, end, we get it. You know, but it doesn't translate over here, though. You know, see, you okay, there's one one thing I kind of want to touch on really quick before we move off this topic. And so, normally, when one of these remakes, one of these kind of remakes happens, when it's just like a film that is like fairly new and it really just seems pointless to remake, something like Let the Right One In, even lesser in this case because it's in English. Mm-hmm. We always say like, God damn you, Hollywood, you know, taking another one and, you know, turning it to shit. But I, I find it mostly interesting that a lot of times they actually have the original creator involved in some way. And this guy's producing. So so stop blaming Hollywood. I don't fault the guy for wanting to make money. I don't. All about I, money. I would does, do it too. It's but, all but, about money. But all of you people out there who who say like you know like like you know stand stand for more than money. Um, this is the guy who's responsible for it being remade. Okay, so so mm-hmm. blame him if you want to blame somebody. But I don't blame him because shit, it's money. I I don't I don't see anything yeah, wrong with somebody time, bettering the their same life time, for money. He didn't he didn't pitch this movie to Hollywood and say hey, how do you guys, know. I, I, well, come on. Who the he fuck have. does that? He yeah, might maybe. have. It's happened before. Hey, guys, let's, uh, you know, I'm pitching this to you guys uh, so you can remake it for the American audience. Um, I mean, yeah, I'm not saying it doesn't. I, I mean, I can't say it's not a fact, but I mean, come on. I'm sure this doesn't happen every day. I think that I think a lot of American studios are just like, well, that's really big over there. We can totally translate that, you know, sell to our audience. So I think they are taking upon themselves a lot of the time to remake these films. It, but no, no, no. I, it, the, the problem is, is he's producing. Okay. So he, he is involved. He's putting money into the project as well. 
Mm-hmm. So he's not he's not executive producing, I don't believe. I think he's producing it um, and handing the reins over to another director. So I believe that you do have to place blame. If you're going to blame, which I'm not, because I don't see a problem with it. There's obviously a paycheck blame, in there for him, though. There's a paycheck somewhere, and that's yeah, what he's selling. Yeah, once the film makes money... But what I'm saying, no, he's also selling. I mean, if this guy, if this guy owns, you know, pretty much, if he owns this film, he's selling something there. He's selling the story. He's selling whatever the name. He's selling the rights. He's selling the rights exactly. So but he's collecting a paycheck regardless of what his title is, whatever his phony title is. I mean, okay, these are all fucking. But, these but are all still. fucking credits, man. It, it, we all know how it works, man. It's bullshit. Okay, and, but it, you know. Obviously, if he's handing the reins over to somebody else and, you know, searching for a writer to adapt the movie, then then he is letting go creatively. Like, so mm-hmm. if you like I said, I'm not going to place blame because I don't care. I think it's great. I would do the same thing. I would take the money because that's what you do. You're you're that's your career. Um, mm-hmm. But if the people do want to place the blame, dude, it's partially on him. If it, it, it maybe not fully, but it is partially on him because he is letting go creatively. No, it is selfishness, totally. But I mean, I, I'm different though. You know, if I if I had made Housebound and I'm just like, I don't know, man. I feel I would feel so close to it if if I felt like it was like my fucking masterpiece or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd be like, I would have a hard time giving up the rights to it and watching someone else tackle this film and redo it just for the sake of money. And that's really essentially what it's about. There's no reason otherwise to sell it to Americans. So why does that make you feel any less close to the film that you created? I just don't want to see another version of it. I feel like mine is the only one that should be out there. And that's just me. It's same as an artist, me recording music. I've done this for years and years. I don't want someone to take a song that I've written, you know, and, you know, and remake my song i would never ever sell one of my songs to have someone else do because i wrote that specifically to come out of my fucking mouth and perform i don't want to hear someone else do that song i remakes in, in music just drive me nuts I, yeah well that's all I about money it's, it's a all little about, different it's not though if i wrote and directed say if i wrote and directed a film it would feel the same thing to me. And like, this is my fucking masterpiece. I'm like, this is the only one I want to see of it. What if somebody can have to respect this? I I don't care. I don't fucking care. And I'm sure they probably would because I really don't have any talent. I'm not talking about music right now. I'm talking about like, like, okay, I'm talking about film film. too. I didn't make the film. First of all, a lot of people made it. It's not one person who makes the film. No, I'm just talking about like, right. Like just, if you were the creator of a film, say you wrote and created this film and then directed it. And it's basically yours. You own the rights to your film. Of course, there's multiple people involved in making a film, but I just don't want to, I don't want to give that away. I feel like it's, it means something to me. It does, and, we, and it will always mean that to me as well. Like if I made it, I, I it would always mean something. The, thing, the fact of the matter is, but I why don't can't it see... live on in other ways? Maybe it'll let more people know about mine. No, I just I, I'm it, I'm not even calling this being selfish. I'm just different like that. I just don't want to see another version of anything that I do. I you would know, be interested in maybe even for a paycheck. I don't like, care. Okay, well, let me see what this guy's gonna do with it. Like, I know what I did with it. I know what I like about it. But how? What? It, what can this guy see? Do? That that's just totally a difference. I mean, there's probably a ton of people that agree with you, and maybe there's a couple that agree with me. I don't know. I'm just very, very. I get a. I get so attached to what I do, and I'm just like, mm-hmm. no. But see, I, it's see, different though. If I was writing, if I was writing, way, scripts, like you look at it as in, as in like 
it somehow detracts from what you've done. I don't no, no, ever no, like that. Not at all. You're misinterpreting what I'm saying. I'm not saying that they might make it better and might make my shit worse. I'm saying I don't want to see another version of what I wrote and did. I feel that this is I it was why I wrote this because I because it was specifically written and done by me and I feel it should be one of a kind. Dude, I have a poem that's framed it's on my wall. It's always going to be one of it's a kind. Framed. It's framed. I can show you right now. It's one of a kind. No, not if there's a remake. Well, first of all, this film isn't – I don't think this is one of a kind. I mean I've seen other films that film No, like but you're missing the point here. It's, it's still to that person. He wrote and created and you know, say whatever. I don't know all the credits to the film. I'm just saying as a specific artist or creator, it's still one of a kind to yourself. No matter how you look and at it. And it still will be if somebody else makes another version of it. But the thing is, as me, I don't want to see one. <laughs> it's just I do not want to see another version at all. I would never sell it. I, I feel you. Wouldn't. I feel you. But I don't think there's anything wrong with it at all. Because... Okay. Well, that that's that's cool, man. I'm totally. I, I'm not saying, you know, if it was you, I'd be like, dude, go for it. Totally. Take the paycheck. Run. Me personally. Never in a million years. I am very, very different like that. Like it's different if I was specifically writing a script for, you know, to sell. That's totally different. I, I don't give a shit. I'm specifically doing something for someone else or I'm writing a song for someone else. You know, there's there's ghostwriters in, in all sorts of music. I mean, half of pop music isn't written by the artist. We all know this. Mm -hmm. You know, that's different. I could go and write a song. But if I'm writing something and doing and recording myself or a film – well, see, if I it's like, if I was it's making mine. music, I would never let somebody else do like recreate my music anyway, because it's just it's a different. That's something I wouldn't do because. But I mean, remakes just different part of to me. Music have been, you know, it's been forever. You know, it's yeah. Like people, you know, you obviously have to get the rights and hey, let me redo your song. You know, but you know, I I just wouldn't even no. I don't want to hear another version of it, man. I just it was created for a reason. And I'm just like, I don't see the point. Yeah, I understand that in music. Like, I, I, I'm with you in music, but I just think it's different in, in film. Like, I, I don't... I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just using music as, you know, you know, it's basically the same thing to me. It's, as long it's as something's specific, created by me, though. I the, want the thing it. in music is it's more of a specific thing. It's, it's, it's the way that it... That, you know, films are so brought like so so much stuff goes into films that it's not a, a specific like sound or you know like it it is like when you're talking about like a four minute song it's so specific to you i think a film is a little bit more than that and i think that's why it doesn't really i know but you're not selling compare. everything off like when you're selling a movie it's the script and or whatever sometimes right? it's not even the script it's just the name sometimes well, even then, but I mean, what comes along with the name is everything that's, you know, under that name, which is the film. So, I mean, people still, I'm, I'm sure there's people out there that have been offered, Hey man, you know, like seriously, like we want to kind of, you know, remake and people are just like, fuck no, no, yeah. <laughs> but I don't, I don't paycheck. think it's a negative thing though. Like I don't, I, I, I'm not saying it. I totally agree with everybody that wants to get jump on board with doing that. Cool, man. For myself, never. But and everybody that knows me never, personally knows that I would it as in like it's selling your soul or something if you did do it. I just wouldn't I honestly couldn't I'm I'm weird like that like I just can't see I, no. If you, I would if have you no fun say in that. that you just don't want somebody else 
you just want to keep it to yourself. That's one thing. I'm, you know, that's I, I understand that. Well, essentially, that's what I'm doing. I mean, okay. if I'm, yeah, but don't, don't like I like as long as you're not saying like like I wouldn't do it because it is it's you know a terrible thing to do. I never said it was a terrible thing to do. I said I respect people that want and to do I, it. And I know. And I never said For you me, said that. It's a personal choice. Everybody has a personal choice. And I'm making the personal choice not to sell what I've created myself. Right? I just I, – I have that choice. And I'm not – I wouldn't do it. Yeah, so, absolutely. That, that, I mean I, I agree to you know, a certain extent with that as well. Like I'm not going to let my baby just go and, and see it become – you know, something that I didn't want it to be intended for. But at the same time, I'm, I'm not against somebody else, you know, telling a story through. Either am I. I created. If you, if you wrote a script and you want to sell it, I'd be like, dude, go for it, man. If, if that's what you want to well, do, that's what I, you want to do. For me I personally, little... I would never feel right about it, but it's not me. It's not my work that you're selling. So <laughs> go for it, man. Yeah. But, <laughs> I'm not going to hold you back. I, I mean, it's not just like, Okay, there like there's kind of different levels here. Like if you're talking about like a writer for hire type thing where I'm writing a script for somebody to shoot. Well, I, I even said I would sell that too because if, if I'm hired to write on a that's completely different. I'm doing I, I think purpose specifically for someone else. what we're talking here is remake rights, not mm-hmm. necessarily something that I created that I'm giving to somebody else. I, we're talking about letting somebody else create a version of what I created. It's mm. not letting them have what I made. It's mm. just letting them, allowing them no. to do it and not legally sue them for doing it. That's no, what no. That we're doing here. Totally. Totally. But I'm just, I mean, obviously they have to come to you and get the rights and stuff. And I'm just like, no, no, <laughs> not going to happen. Yeah. So. I, I mean, I, I, I can't really say what I would do unless I actually was in the position. Of, if they came to me you know, and they were like, oh, we want to show your film at a film festival. I'm like, of course. That's the whole point. Get it out there. But as for someone else to take on the project of, you know, kind of re- taking my idea and remaking it or re, re- do something re, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm just like, uh, I don't, you know, money. No, I don't care. Mm-hmm. I don't care. You can pay me. A million dollars. I'm like, whatever. See, man. it's not prob- all money really to me either, to what I though. Like, I mean, I, it is money. Like, yeah, I, I mean, I would, I like, I don't feel like I own like that, like idea or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, like money I mean, would be a fair example. Underneath your name, you you technically do, right? Like, you know, it's just you know going back to music game because it's the same thing. Like, you wrote a song, you copyright it. Yeah, technically, you do own it. Yeah, yeah, technically, you do own it. But I don't feel like. Um, I should be exclusively allowed – like if somebody wants to try and do this and, and do something like like Carpenter did with The Thing or something, like yeah, dude, like go for it. Go ahead and make your movie. You know, I made my movie. It's right here. It's awesome. You, Everybody can still see it. Like go make yours now. I understand what you're saying. Obviously, you don't want to see something happen negatively with something that you were so involved in. And mm. uh, like I understand both sides of it and I'm kind of with you in a way too where if I saw like, hey, like, you know, Joe Schmo over here came in with a shit ton of money and he just wants to like, you know, m- you know, make a like a quick buck off of my movie title. Yeah, I don't want you to do that because I want it to be something that's, you know, bigger than that. Just like a quick turnaround. But, it's you know, obviously mm. there's there's multiple ways that this could happen there's there's multiple angles that you can look at this debate from 
Oh, yeah. I mean, this is, but this is all personal though. So after that long debate, um, let's move on to Roadside. We talked about this film very briefly. Um, people stuck in an SUV or something and, uh, there's a mysterious gunman. Anyway, it is going to be released on DVD April 14th, 2015. Road horror. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. After that, we have something that sounds really cool. This is called Holidays. I've seen the poster for this, and it looks amazing. Um, it's a new anthology film that will basically take the holidays and create stories in anthology format. Christmas, Easter, Halloween, Mother's Day. And each segment will be a holiday, and it's just called Holidays. Um, and the people who did Starry Eyes, which was an awesome fucking movie, is going to be directing the Valentine's Day portion of it. Um, and, you know, they, they, you know, talked a little bit about, like, the Valentine's Day tradition and stuff like that and, you know, what they plan on doing with it, which is, I think, perfect for that because it's all about – Valentine's Day is about people who, you know, are, you know, obsessed with the fact – you know, go, obsessive characters who are trying to, like – uh, force stuff and you know that's kind of what starry as was kind of like and uh that th- that's a great segment for them to do but also involved is kevin smith uh so yeah this this should be really fucking cool and the poster looks really old school and cool as well yeah i like that premise man that's fucking fantastic mm-hmm. i believe we've even said like that a long time ago this should have happened yeah that's Something crazy like man that. that's really good so it does it specify how many you know, holidays or segments are going to be in this? It does not, but I believe there is one, two, three, like- four, I believe five or six people involved, maybe seven. Okay. okay, so so we're covering probably the majority of the major holidays. Well, we already know Christmas, Halloween, Easter. Um, yeah, like the major, major ones. Okay. And then so Valentine's like- Day. So then it's just like, you know, a couple more that we don't know about. They should actually have a Canada Day one. No one's ever done one. Oh, my God. What? I don't even know what that is. It's the same thing as Independence Day, motherfucker, on a different day. Oh. <laughs> Are you kidding How me? How would I have know that? It's three days before. Ours is the first. Yours is the fourth. It's the same thing. Hmm. Did you copy us? <laughs> what do you mean copy? You know what Independence Day is? Yeah. That's the same thing as Canada Day. That's when our fucking country is established. All right. Anyways. Um, but yeah, there's never been one that I can think of, like a, a horror movie that was set on that day. Um, but there's lots of good ones, man. President's Day. Oh, but there's lots of President's Day ones, though, to be honest. But Thanksgiving, man. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of things. I mean, there's really all the holidays have been kind of covered. Oh, I think every you know, holiday has been. To be honest, man. The one holiday I'm surprised it doesn't have a lot more is Easter. Like, there is a few Easter-related mm-hmm. horror films, but there isn't as many as you think there would be. You know, with Christmas, Halloween, um, and even Valentine's Day doesn't really have that many. It's kind yeah. of surprising, actually. I think there's more like President's Days and shit like that, it seems like, anyways. But Labor Day. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, awesome premise. Like, such a cool premise. That's like yeah. the ultimate anthology. And the poster looks really cool as well. Check it out when you get a chance. Uh, after that, uh, there's a new trailer that hit. Um, I did look at the trailer. It didn't look super amazing, but I love the idea behind it. And th- it's called The Woods Movie. And essentially, this is another documentary um, on a specific film. And this time, it's The Blair Witch Project. So somebody made a documentary 
uh, based on the you know making of the Blair Witch Project and you know the uh, what it's become. Mm-hmm. So a- we got another one on the way. Hmm. Interesting. Yep. Uh, after that, we just have a couple of announcements. Um, first thing, we have Scream Factory. They announced uh, two um, Italian-made films, and that is Ghost House from 1988 and Berta Lenzi's film, uh, Double Build with Witchery, starring Linda Blair for um, a June 30th release. Holy fuck, man. You forgot David Hasselhoff's in that film. Don't care. Oh, no, you do. It's the it's the fucking Hoff, dude. It's the Hoff. Yeah, I don't really know who that is. Like, I know who that is, but like, I had never like seen what the big deal was. David Hasselhoff, the Baywatch guy. He's yeah, like yeah, one of the biggest German Baywatch. pop stars ever. <laughs> Didn't know that actually. Bobkey was a huge fucking pop star. It's crazy. Um, yeah, it's a decent film, but it's finally Ghost House is getting released here. It's fucking that's a great release. That you know this actually just kind of made my made my I was like fucking super tired when I got up this morning. Clicked on Facebook and I was the first thing I saw. Very first thing I saw was the posting. Uh, I think it was Zach posted that and I I, I think um, Jeremy posted that actually. Whatever. Um and I was like holy shit, that's amazing. See, those are the type of releases that I really want to see. Mm-hmm. That's you know, good ones that haven't been released, and it's a, an Italian double bill. It's fucking amazing. Yeah, so good. So, um, they also did say that uh, there is a new commentary by director Burt Gordon on both Food of the Gods and Empire of the Ants. Those two releases coming out soon. So th- I thought that was pretty cool. You know, I love when they actually do special features, even for their non-collector's edition films. Yeah, I mean, they're de- I like they definitely don't get as extreme as they did with, uh, you know, Terry Rich and Video Dead. That that release, man, fucking crazy. But yeah. they even probably scratched their heads a little bit too, going, "Wow, we really put a lot of effort into that." Double I, I think <laughs> what it was was it was such an early time, and they didn't know how much to spend making special features upon how much they make off the films. So mm-hmm. they probably had a higher budget then. And now they probably have a lower budget, so that's probably why they went buck wild. And because that was one of the first releases, it's in the, I believe, eleventh release. It was the was it not the first? It was the first double feature. It was. Yeah, and um, it's, actually, uh, you know, speaking of film, that yeah, released. speaking of double features, um, <clears throat> the new one with vampires kiss and high spirits on it. Uh, they're actually yeah. See, this is a perfect example of what they're doing now. The special features for Vampire Kiss is there's a new commentary in, in the trailer, but on High Spirits, there actually isn't anything. It's completely yeah. bare bones. So that's pretty much what they've kind of got at now. I'm surprised there wasn't even a fucking trailer on it, though. It's kind of crazy, but... Yeah, well, there's a couple releases early on that didn't even have trailers, I believe. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I believe so. But, I mean, yeah, you know, just two films on here, and there's, like, one feature. <laughs> it's kind of crazy, but... It's kind of cool that there's a commentary on Vampire's Kiss, though, but we'll get to that later. Yeah, so after that, we have a uh, – they revealed the – I just kind of want to get your – you know, this isn't really news, but I, I wanted to get your take on it. Did you see the Sleepaway Camp 2 and 3 uh, new artwork that they did? Yeah, I did actually. Um, <clears throat> that was another one I kind of scrolled through and saw it, and I saw everyone complaining about um, – Part 2. Part uh, 2. Uh, so I kind of you know, I scanned them out and made them bigger on my computer and looked over them both, and I didn't think either one was good. <laughs> Really? I I'm not gonna, I thought they were I mean, I don't think they're terrible, but I at first I was like, mm, I don't really see 
much difference between them both. You know, for someone calling one not as good as the other, I was like, well, they seem about the same to me. No, and I was like, what it is is in part two, everything's good except for Angela herself. It doesn't look like her, and that's what everything. Yeah, it's that short ass shitty about. hair, and like, yeah. Well, she had her hair like that, but her facial facial structure is just a little bit off, and her neck's too long. I was gonna say that too. It actually looked a little too cartoony. Yeah. You know, like it didn't have like the feet. Like you can still have that element, you know. But yeah, I know what you're saying. But um, and then uh, in part three, I really like. Like I, I just like the way that it looks. Um, I I don't know. Like it, it's definitely more cartoony. That's for damn sure. Both of them are. But I feel like it fits for the films because they are also both more cartoony. I wonder if it was the same artist that did he the did, artwork he for did the first the original one. one. That's why they specifically got him. They mentioned that in the news where they said, "Yeah, we wanted to just you know make it seem the same, so we grabbed the same guy okay. that did the first uh, film." Yeah, I'm a I'm a picture person. I just kind of looked at the picture and didn't read the article. <laughs> yeah, I kind of figured. I mean, I generally try to stay away from it anyways because when we're doing the news, this is all like news to me. It's literally news to me. So, um, yeah, I don't know, man. They were okay. I I, I think the first one he did was better, but that's just me. I I really wish they had to put a lawnmower in there somewhere. <laughs> they did. Is there in part three? Oh fuck, maybe I just totally overlooked that. But mm-hmm. well, that's. Yeah, uh, so after that, we did get a bit of news. Um, I know that they said in their – I thought this was a little interesting. For It's also from Scream Factory. But the Mad Max, um, you know, everybody complained that, you know, that release already had a Blu-ray. Um, and they did go through and take their uh, MGM's transfer and remove – and spent a lot of time removing thousands of grain and uh, dirt and stuff like that. So, I mean, they did clean up the all right at least they're doing that right i mean if they're going to re-release something i guess make a make a valid reason to yeah and put their uh collector's edition stamp on it yeah 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 so i mean you you get a slip cover and a new transfer did they announce any like you know specifics on the on the features I, i don't believe they did but they did announce a bunch of um you know other uh, like class of 1984 is getting a new uh, transfer uh, interviews a uh, new career retrospect uh, a commentary which I believe might have been on the original disc and then they uh, talk about uh, the escape from New York um, they, I think they said that the posters are going fast Mad Max uh, full full extras will be announced in March so yeah that that's when they're going to well, I can those. I can imagine those posters are going quick for Escape from New York. Fucking cult, man. It's a great flick. Yeah. Um. You know what? I'm actually curious for when the Sleepaway Camp um pre-order goes up. I, they said early March. Uh, because I'm gonna have to order directly from Scream Factory because I have the first poster for the first film, and I would feel weird not getting the other two. <laughs> what happens if you don't? I'm gonna be really pissed. <clears throat> <laughs> see we all have our weird quirkiness to us yeah. man see i i'd be like because okay. i know those things are limited to like 300 so yeah. it's like the first 300 people that order well ever shout. ever since i couldn't get the very first poster i was like well yeah i mean i've always been like on a different side of the spectrum i'm just like i don't worry about it now i mean it really really hurts sometimes i mean some of the I have posters some i would love the to have weird ones man like i have sleepaway camp halloween 3 phantasm 2 uh, Motel Hell, Ginger Snaps, the Nightbreed poster, 
and I believe the only other one I have is Lake Placid. Oh. Which is just weird. <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, so after that, they announced a film, 1989, I Madman. And, uh, uh, which I did comment on <clears throat> earlier today, and I said – I don't know if it was on the show or whatever, but I, I remember saying it somewhere. But I I said that was going to get released by Screen Factory eventually, mm-hmm. and it did. So I totally called that, and there is some doc- documentation somewhere. <laughs> I definitely did call that. But I think that's a great release because you know, the DVD is out of print. It's a great film. It's a good one. I think it's going to sell really well for Screen Factory. I think that's a good one. So. Yeah, and finally from Scream Factory, we have their announcement of uh, another partnership with IFC Midnight, and they're releasing Extraterrestrial. So this is really interesting because before this news came out, I've seen someone said something about, uh, you know, A, this new Extraterrestrial film, uh, it under, you know, the studio on Amazon, it says uh, Shout Factory. Is this another co-release? And it turned out, you know, a couple days or a day or, you know, a couple hours later, they announced it. Um, so what do you think, man? I mean, that's two. That's two films. Is is IFC no longer going to be distributing dis, dis, distributing films? Are they going to hand the reins over to Scream Factory or like what's I mean, I think going it, on? I think it all depends on what Scream Factory – I mean, if they do work out a deal, you know, for, you know, everything – Maybe, but I, I think right now Screen Factory is probably just feeling it out. You know what I'm saying? They're just trying to, they're picking up a couple titles that they feel that they can, you know, kind of get some, you know, basically cash out of, you know. Well, I, I don't know, man. I, I, they, I think that's going to piss off a lot of IFC fans, though, like guys like Jeremy who collect IFC releases. I don't know why, though, because Screen Factory mm-hmm. obviously puts more time into special features. Yeah, yeah. They're, I mean, presentation is nicer because it's normally blu-ray ifc is sometimes blu-ray i'm a little i'm a little weary on this title though i mean i'm not gonna lie i i can't stand the title extraterrestrial because it just sounds so generic i mean obviously but you think about it like you you kind of when you do an alien film you want people to know it's an alien film because i feel like a lot of people don't like those or a lot of people do like those and you don't want to be tricked into watching an alien film um so i feel like you always have to go with one of those abduction or extraterrestrial or fucking you know abducted or you know whatever uh you know I don't know, man. Like you know films like Under the Skin that are you know, I seen that. alien well, type thanks. films. I think that's you know, it's fucking. Yeah, who knows? I don't know. It, it's a cheap, generic title. I don't really. I think care it's about too generic, though. I mean, extraterrestrials. It is. It is. It's know. a terrible title. It's stupid. I'm just hoping that it, you know, it, it does sell a little better than I'm thinking it's going to, just so they can continue. Because I, I mean, we all know that IFC does acquire a ton of great films. Well, they put I, out so IFC much good is stuff. Absolutely, the best company for contemporary horror stuff that gets picked up at festivals. Like yeah. they, they are, well, they just pick that's them what up they, and they get. But good that's films. specifically what they do, right? They go around and you know that's well, their whole they thing. They do some too, sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, that's their whole thing was is contemporary indie films. But um, yeah, so they're great at that. Yeah, and this one just it seems like an oddball one, but at the same time, I like alien films, so I can get past the title. But just the name extraterrestrial, like how many people are going to look at that and go, I don't know, man. Well, honestly, dude, like uh, what's funny is a lot of people were actually. Like, 
I, I think it helps that I'm like always like on different websites and news and stuff. People were asking for this before it was announced. Like there oh, were wow. people that were like, "Hey, you guys should get the Vicious Brothers IFC film. Since you did the Babadook, you should get the Vicious the Vicious Brothers film Extraterrestrial." Mm-hmm. So there was mm-hmm. already like 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 hype for it before it was announced. Well, I so mean that's I, that's cool that they're taking the fan, you know, word. Yeah, but I think what it is is that um, people know of this film that 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 were as it played in festivals and stuff. Like obviously, it's new to me and you, uh, but I did see it around. I did hear people talking about it, so it might actually sell a little better than than we thought initially when we didn't know anything about it. Um, but I, I don't know. Like honestly, like Scream Factory's contemporary stuff is hit and miss, right? We've seen some good ones. We've seen some bad ones. So a partnership with IFC really just improves like my love for Screen Factory because yeah, they yeah, I mean, get better films to release I, temporary. I agree, man. That's great. So I mean, I guess it just remains to be seen what they do. I, I it probably just totally depends on sales, right? If I mean, if this one sells like shit, which it probably won't, but I we know the Babadook is going to sell like crazy. Yeah, it, I don't. I don't even know like the logistics of like the deal though. Like, is it more an IFC title or is it more Scream Factory like um, helping IFC? Like, it, it's it's kind of weird. Like, you don't really know, or is it a completely like joint venture? Uh, I guess we'll see. Like, what happens? Like, if we see this is like a you know here and there type partnership when they really get a good title that they want to kind of like co uh, you know push. Or if this is like Scream Factory actually taking over for IFC, like, like it with the contemporary stuff. I don't know. Mm, yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll have to wait and see. I mean, I I was kind of led to believe it was kind of a co thing, kind of like the uh, the Halloween box set with Anchor Bay. But yeah, but you know, see, it still it still has the Scream that type. Yeah, is that it seems more of a Scream Factory release than that Anchor Bay box set did. Yeah, that's and that's what I was getting at. Mm-hmm. But it does seem like it's a little more Screen Factory than than IFC. So, yeah, I don't know. All right. So I, I, I guess we'll continue on with the news. I guess you know, taking. This has been a long news. <laughs> After that, we have Society picked up by uh, Arrow, both for UK and US distrib- dish- distribution. What is wrong with me today? Without you can't say the word distribution, can you? Yeah, I know. Um, so the special edition will have a new high definition transfer, uh, a new audio commentary with director Brian Usna, um, governor of society with Brian Usna, the master of the hunt, um, interviews, 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 um, screaming mad George music video, reversible sleeve featuring originally and newly commissioned artwork. And a collector's booklet featuring new writing on the film, illustrated by the original archives, stills, and posters. Mm-hmm. So yeah, well, that's cool, man. I mean, I probably won't grab it because I have the German Blu-ray release, which looks fantastic. I remember you guys bought that, and I was like, "Yeah, I'll just wait till it gets re-released." And Jeremy's like, "It's not going to get re-released." Oh, I I could care less. <laughs> Jeremy always says that everything's not going to get re-released, but. Um, no, I just I grabbed it because it was cheap, and it you know the way it is right now, it's still technically way cheaper <laughs> than what I got. But the transfer is fantastic. But you know, Arrow, it's Arrow. You know, yeah, they, I like they the really new are good. Special they features. really are. Was good. there any special features on that German edition? Uh, fuck, dude, I can't even remember if there is or not. I 
Oof, They're probably question. in German, if they are. <laughs> probably. But no, I actually can't even remember. But no, it was more about the transfer. It was really, I wanted to grab it because, you know, the Anchor Bay DVD was so out of print and went for dumb, dumb money. Mm-hmm. And I heard the transfer was really great on this release. So I was like, okay, well, I'll check it out. And yeah, it was great. So worked for me. All right. So after that, we have Scorpion releasing The Land of Time Forgotten. We have Madhouse from Kino. We also have Cherry 2000 from Kino, Island of Death from Arrow, and Rabid Grannies from Troma, all making Blu-ray debuts, I believe. Uh, yeah. Let's just hope that fucking Rabid Grannies is actually fully uncut. You know, they put that fucking footage that they had in the DVD special features back into the film. Because, yeah. you know, it, it really does make a huge difference, man. There's a lot of scenes cut out of that one. It's kind of like watching Blood- My Bloody Valentine, you know, the theatrical cut. <laughs> fucking horrible man so yeah but yeah a lot of great releases man island of death from arrow that's a great upgrade which i won't but i won't upgrade that one because you know i already have the dvd so it's a weird ass greek film though really trippy film but uh and that is it for the news long news we had some great discussions in there um but definitely you know ate up some time uh so you want to move on to the dvd releases huh huh Huh? All right, so yeah, getting into uh, mood swings here, and we're going to start off uh, the mood swings with, of course, the DVD and Blu-ray releases for February 17th, 2015. It seems like every week just seems so much further. Is this year not flying by? It is. It's crazy. It really is. Like, January just went, poof, just gone. Um, Crazy. But, it, you know, once again, it is actually starting to pick up, so... uh. First up here from Screen Factory, we have a contemporary title released on DVD and Blu-ray, and that is called Animal. I believe this was a uh, sci-fi original, if I'm not mistaken. It, uh, chiller original. <laughs> chiller. That's what I meant to say, not sci-fi. I always do that. I always do that. Um, and I've actually heard pretty good things about this one, so yeah, I'm this looking one, forward to checking it out. This one got some de- – I believe it was Chiller's most watched movie Okay. Um, on their channel. Uh you know, I like creature features. I like this one. We'll actually be covering this one, I believe, in two weeks. So uh, we'll talk about it more then. Yeah, totally. Uh, next up from Scream Factory. Also, we've got uh, the 1988 film, Phantom of the Opera, starring, of course, Robert England. Um, I have, oddly enough, never seen this movie. It's really strange that I've never seen this one. I, I passed up the DVD. Is, this is one of the only times where like a film is something that i've seen that you have <laughs> i know it's weird i i passed up this movie so many times on dvd and and then i i'm, I'm kind of glad i did because at least it's a title that i'm not upgrading you know so i'm excited to watch it i have to say the cover looks like a freddy film <laughs> yeah <laughs> they the obviously makeup. tried to dash in on that but oh it even says robert england was freddy now yeah, i know he it is the phantom of the opera that's so crazy. That's so what, crazy. What's funny is when they announced this was last year's San Diego Comic Con, I believe, when they announced all of those titles. You know, there's like ten or eleven. You was like, "Fuck, I have all of them except for Phantom of the Opera." And I was like, "Fuck, I don't have any of them except Phantom of the Opera." <laughs> yeah, I remember that too. We were laughing about that. <laughs> so funny. Uh, yeah. Next up here from Full Moon, uh, they're releasing Doctor Mordred. Um, yeah, uh, I've actually never seen this Full Moon film. It's one I have never seen. So coming to Blu-ray, <clears throat> and I, I figured that uh, 
you know, their Blu-ray transfers are actually getting a little better. So I know their earlier ones were not really the greatest transfers, but they seem to be improving, which is good. Uh, next up here, we got a film called uh, Motivational Growth, which is being released on DVD and Blu-ray. And it looks like the Blu-ray cover art is different than the DVD, which is interesting. Uh, the one, this one grabbed my attention because it says it's starring Jeffrey Combs, who is of course not on the cover. So I'm wondering if he has like a five minute cameo that always worries me. Um, uh, released by Parade Deck Films. <laughs> Sounds made up again, doesn't it? Yeah. And you know, it's, um, it looks, it reminds me of the Stephen King segment in Creep Show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. But I, yeah, I don't really know what to expect. Those type of movies, I'm just like, I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, next up here, we've got um, finally being released by Magnet. Well, not finally. I guess it hasn't been that long. But um, Magnet, of course, is releasing the third installment of VHS, which is subtitled Viral. Um, of course, we have had reviews on this one on the channel, and it does not sound that promising. In fact, it sounds pretty shitty. Yeah, but, but I, I will say that there is a – um, fourth segment in it, which, which wasn't in the version that I seen, which is the, like, literally yeah, one of the, the only credits, reasons right? why I want it besides being a completist. Um, yeah. Is it I, not after the credits? No, that's what everybody says, but I think it's actually just in the film. Like, it's, I, I don't, I think maybe it was like not done in time or some, or maybe it has something to do with the actual story. I don't know. Um, but what, I, I believe it's actually just in the film. Interesting. Yeah, because I, I, I heard that it was like, you know, stay tuned after the credits because there's a whole other segment. Maybe it's like the actual rap. I don't know. I don't know what to expect, but that's kind of an interesting concept, though, having like a small segment after well, the credits. Well, they need something to did. have people pick it up because nobody's going to want it after they see it. Yeah, they kind of figured they're like, holy fuck, is this ever bad? Hurry up. I guess Let's we got to do another something. segment. Yeah, <laughs> we got we to gotta figure out a way to sell this fucker. Uh, next up here from Leo Mark Studios is a film called, or not a film, I don't know, uh, it, I don't know, it's called Hillbilly Horse Show Volume 2, I'm assuming this is probably like an anthology, I don't really know anything about the first one, do you? No, I never heard of it, it looks <laughs> awful. It, it actually does look bad. The one guy, uh, I don't know. Um, next up here from, oh my, man, these companies, dude, Avian Images, like what? A film called Malignant. Uh, featuring Brad Dorf is in this one, and again, it does not look very good. All of these things look awful. Yeah, like this one just, it looks very, very generic. Some dude with a, a syringe. I don't know, man. Um, so there was a couple notable ones this week, but <laughs> moving along. Alter. This is being released by Cinegan. Uh, this is the first of three bona fide ghostlies. Oh, this is, I was just going to say, this is definitely a ghostly. I mean, it's like the cover is just beyond ghostly it's ridiculous just for in a walmart near you (laughs) yeah exactly going for 9.99 uh next up this one just i actually laughed about this when i was going through the releases i was like wow released by tomcat releasings and it's called twilight hunters it looks like a cross between twilight and uh that james cameron movie avatar yeah it, it definitely you know it looks as bad as it sounds it's yeah. one of those ones. It fucking does not look cool. I wouldn't Twi- buy that. Twilight Hunters? Ugh, God. Uh, next up here is a film called The Case Book of Eddie Brewer. That is the second ghostly of the week. Yeah, The Case Book of Eddie Brewer. That's uh, a weird one. Released by E1. Uh, 
you never know what you're going to get with the E1. But that one doesn't look very inviting either. The cover's actually pretty bad. Yep. Um, next up here is a film called Scalped. And I'm assuming this is like a backwoods type either slasher or... Well, she looks like Native American on the cover. She's supposed to. She's totally not, though. Yeah. <laughs> she just has that that paint. You know, Vengeance just the went native. That's the... Oh, man. Vengeance just went native. There should be more killer Indian movies, though. Just saying. Chief Woodenhead is not enough. I know there's a film called Scalps that I've yeah. oh, that, but I've never seen it. Uh, Scalps is actually pretty interesting. I mean, there's a lot of films that have, like, you know, native folklore and, you know, mythology yeah. in them. I mean, even Poltergeist 2 does. I mean, the whole explanation for the first film is based off of, you know, the ground and, you know, yeah, Pet the Cemetery. And Pet Cemetery, like, just based off native folklore. So, um, next up, we got a Blu ray for a horror four pack. What uh, a weird pack. Yeah, I know. This one, okay, they just keep releasing. Well, this is fucking Mill Creek. It's the other Echo Bridge. Uh, the other Echo Bridge. So we got Deep Rising Puppet Masters. Not uh, not, not Puppet Mas- Master. No, Puppet because Masters. Echo Bridge owned those. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This one's got Puppet Masters, the one with Donald uh, Sutherland in it. And then we got When a Stranger Calls, the original, and Happy Birthday to Me. So four films. And I'm wondering if this is on. No, it says two discs. I have that uh, Blu-ray with When a Stranger Calls and Happy Birthday to Me that just has those two films. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'd recommend picking up that set instead of this set. I heard those transfers are actually pretty good. I haven't cracked them open yet, but I I love Happy Birthday to Me. I haven't seen When a Stranger Calls, but I actually should watch that soon. (laughs) Uh, Next up here from Scream Media is a film called Beyond. Not The Beyond, so don't get it mixed up with uh, Lucio Fulci's film. Uh, this one kind of looks like a sci-fi, I'm assuming, type alien type deal. Yeah, the meek shall forfeit the earth. I don't know. Sci-fi horror, I guess. I don't. It doesn't look very inviting, to be honest. Uh, next up here, we got a film called All Saints Eve. Ugh. Man. I mean, it's not a ghostly. And it's being released by Wild Eye. Releasing, of course, they are so hit and miss with their movies lately. They, 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 they've just been releasing so much stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the problem. I think it's more, you know, quantity over quality right now with Wild Eye. But, you know, this one, All Saints Eve, he's got that, uh, what do they call those things? The, the scythe. The scythe, yeah. You know, and that's pretty much what you get on the cover in some rain. And, oh, wow. This one right here the is third a, the, ghostly. the third bonafide ghostly of the new releases. And it's called The Last, not The Last, Last House on Cemetery Lane. So it's another one of these Last House films released by 4Digital Media. And wow, that cover. It actually is called The Last House on Cemetery Lane. Oh, it is. It, it, I, was, I wasn't reading the, the DVD cover. So it is called The Last House on Cemetery Lane. So. And it is awful looking. It has ghostly images all over it. The only way it could be more ghostly is if it had like those camera record things around it. Um, <laughs> yeah, the obvious giveaway. Yeah. Uh, uh, so what is ghostly? I mean, mm. Jesus Christ. Oh, Coming God. Walmart near you. You know, it's interesting, too. I'm, I'm like, you know, looking at the uh, the quotes on here and it says eerie, unsettling and scary. From which is who? Fucking so generic. No, I'm just I was going to comment on the, the quote. No, I eerie, mean, unsettling who, and scary. Scream magazine. Scream oh. magazine. And, and then another one says a new chapter in haunted house stories. Dark, gruesome and disturbingly realistic. And that was from Horror, uh, Horror.net. Wow. Um. So, yeah, I don't know about that. Well, we'll have to see. 
I guess we'll have to see. Uh, see. Uh, wow. I believe there's another one I got here also. Um, it's called uh, from SRS, which is uh, Subrosa, Subrosa Studios. And it is called Massage Parlor of Death. The cover art's awesome. I think it looks fantastic, actually. And it's only it, seven nineteen. Yeah, and it's seven nine. Well, it's Sub Rosa, right? So we know it's low budget, but that I mean that cover art's awesome. It looks great. Yeah, cover art's definitely cool. <laughs> so and I believe that is it for the releases for February seventeenth. So I mean, there's definitely a couple notables in there in the screen factories and if you want to take a chance on VHS viral. I mean, I, I mean, I'll eventually end up getting that one. I'll wait for it to go down to like five bucks or something like that, and I'll grab it. So, but yeah, so that's gonna do it for the new releases. Uh, we got voicemail. Uh, we do have a voicemail. Uh, we may not be able to answer it this week because I was late to the, giving you the information, but uh, it is from Brandon. We'll play it anyway. Hey guys, it's Brandon calling in. Thought I'd ask you um, this week what you guys thought was the most miscast bad guy or bad girl in a horror film. Um, for me, I had a tough time choosing. You know, I wanted to say Vince Vaughn in Psycho, but that movie was terrible whether it was with him or not. <laughs> Chloe Grace Moretz and Carrie. thought it was a poor casting, even though I think she's a talented actress and I like her in most of her films. Um, for me, it has to be Harrison Ford in What Lies Beneath. I just came to see Indiana Jones or Han Solo as a bad guy. Uh, thought it'd be an interesting question. Let me know what you guys think. You could do a top five, top three, just one. You know, there's plenty of others, I'm sure. But, uh, those are the ones that I thought of off the top of my head. Alright, guys, um, that's it. I'll talk to you guys next week. It's a really interesting question because it would it would be one I'd love to sit down and tackle, but I totally, you know, I I, I mean, the the Carrie, I always thought that uh, you know that she was almost too pretty to be cast in that role, mm-hmm. but that that's but a really I, good that's I, a good I will choice. Say that I do think that she, I I think that she did a good job making you feel bad for her, um, but definitely definitely probably a miscast. Mm-hmm. You know, honestly, you know, hearing the question out of his mouth, the first thing that comes to my mind uh, was, of course, um, the dude that played Freddy. Jackie Earl Haley. I, I don't know why I can't remember that guy's name, dude. What's his name? Jackie. What? Jackie Earl Haley. <laughs> oh, Haley. Okay. I, I just thought I, I didn't think he was right for the role at all. And, and I mean, that's just maybe because we were just talking about it. But no, that's not actually because I said the same thing after I watched the movie. I was like, man, he was terrible. Um, but it's definitely one I would like to sit on and actually think about because I know there is definite choices. And I always said that Vince Vaughn is just – I mean I'm not a Vince Vaughn That's fan. That's the I worst think casting I think he's ever. terrible. I mean that is – I've actually said that before that he was terribly miscast in that film. But I think he's just shitting everything to be honest. I'm not a big fan of him. But mm-hmm. um, you know that that is a really good choice. That's That's obvious to me but a good choice. So I don't – do you have any? Uh, yeah, I have. Well, I was gonna go with that's the first person I ever think of is Freddy. Um, it's an. It's just. It's so obvious. Um, mm-hmm. Then I'm gonna go to. I think the next person I think of is from the same film, and that's uh, Rooney Mara, who played Nancy. I hate that girl as Nancy. I think she's an awful Nancy. She's so bland. She's not that girl next door that I like about Nancy. 
just do not like her as Nancy at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and the next one I'm going to go with is John Shepard, who played Tommy Jarvis in Friday the 13th Part 5. <laughs> Call yeah, back good... from last week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally right. Interesting. Yeah, you know, I'll uh, I'll think about this and I'll, you know, get to that question because it's interesting. I'd like to actually, you know, I, I know look that, into this a little more. See, the thing is, like, I always know that when I get asked a question like this, like, I know that I've said in videos or in reviews before, like, oh, total miscast here. Like, I don't think she fit as the role at all or something like that. But then I can never remember what film I said that in. So, yeah, it's something you have to think about a little bit. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I don't know, you know, um, I remember when, uh, the woman in black first came out, I had someone say to me that Daniel Radcliffe was completely miscast in that film. And I was like, <laughs> why was he miscast? Like he's just doing it. I think it's because everyone knows him as Harry Potter, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, and, and they're associating him with that character and like, Oh, well, he can't do anything else. But you know, a Harry Potter character. And I'm like, well, that's not really true. Like, I, I don't think he was bad in that film at all. And I think prove my theory be, when he, you know, did horns, I thought he was fantastic in horns. Yeah. You he know? was, he was on the verge of being typecast, but he, I think he broke out of it. And I think now everybody kind of realizes that, Oh, like, yeah, he can do other stuff. Well, of, of course you're always on the verge of being typecast. Like, you know, when you do a huge successful series like that, it, it goes for anybody. I mean, when you think of Robert England, what's the first thing you think of? Freddy. Freddy. He's typecast. I mean, no matter how you look at it, he totally is. And, you know, same with Dan. It's just, it comes with the territory of doing a major franchise or, you know, a big series. It's just, it is what it is, right? But I, I, I thought that was very unfair of that person to say that, you know, oh, you know, I thought he was, you know, totally miscast and he shouldn't be. I was like, what do you mean? Like, I thought he was fine. Mm-hmm. No, I think the movie was great, but, you know, I, I didn't think he was bad. And I thought he was great in Horns. And he, I mean, of course, Daniel Radcliffe has done other fucking movies too, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, a little less, you know. Which, and I applaud him for doing like indie stuff and you know shit like that. But I, I just thought that was unfair judgment. But it is what it is. But yeah, I'm, I'm going to sit on this one. I'm going to answer this one later. So we'll yeah. get back to you on that, Brandon. As always, thanks for calling in, man. We really like your voicemails. Um, feel free to call in and, you know, talk about a film that you've seen or anything. It always doesn't have to be a question if you don't, you know, want to ask us anything. You can just call and say what's up, man. We like your calls. Yeah, I mean, you can, you know, phone and leave, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> <laughs> it still cracks me up. Uh, it sucks we don't actually have a recording today. But, um, okay, I guess we'll move along here since we don't have any questions, I believe, right, besides the voicemail one. so I believe so. Okay, we'll move along here to the Corners Report, courtesy of Rue Morgue Magazine. And this one is coming from the July of 2012 edition of Rue Morgue, issue number 124. And this is the one with the entity on the cover. Uh, pretty cool. Cool. Um, yeah, we actually covered the entity on the show, I believe. We did. Way back in the day. Way back in the day. Yeah, I believe that was in the first 15 episodes. Oh, yeah, it's it's a while ago. Um, episode <laughs> 10. Episode, episode 10. Wow, it is a long time ago. So exactly 32 episodes ago. Um, yeah, I thought this was interesting, actually, and, and kind of funny, actually. 
Uh, okay. The Golden Rasby Rasby. Oh my God. Here we go. The Golden Raspberry Awards, also known as the Razzies, were founded in 1980. That year saw Stanley Kubrick nominated for the worst director for The Shining and Friday the 13th nominated for the worst picture. Get the F out of here. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me with this? this in what year back- was that? 1980? 1980, which both those movies came out in 1980, so it makes sense, right? But what the fuck, really? Stanley Kubrick for worst director? Anyways, that's going to conclude Mood Swings. And yeah, getting into our um, what we watched this, for this week. Uh, <laughs> I actually had an insane time picking what the hell I was going to talk about this week. Because, you know, over the last couple of weeks, I've watched a lot of films and they're still all sitting in my list here. And I was like, wow. <laughs> I got a lot of, I got a lot of fucking movies in here. So, um, but yeah, what we watch this week, you want to go first? Yeah, sure. I'll go first. Uh, so I got two films here that I watched, uh, both of them I did not watch in this past week, but I haven't talked about them yet. So, uh, first up is storm of the century from 1999. This was a three part mini series that aired on TV, I guess, you know, basic, you know, TV cable type shit. Uh, it follows a, uh, you know, town who is in the midst of a giant snowstorm. And basically, it's the type of town, it's a small island town. Uh, so there's, you know, there's a bunch of people who just go for the coast. And there's a bunch of people that hunker down and, you know, wait out the storm like they've done for, you know, decades. Uh so as the storm is happening, they're all preparing, they're buying food, they're, you know, getting all their protocols in, in line. And in walks a guy from out of the snow who just kind of enters the town. He murders an old woman and then he just kind of sits in his house waiting to be discovered, uh, sits in her house waiting to be discovered. Um, the townspeople eventually do discover him and that he murdered one of their, you know, uh, townspeople. And, uh, they arrest him. Um, you know, it's almost as if he is willing to let them arrest him, uh, which he pretty much does. They take him, they lock him up, then they, you know, post watch. It's, you know, very basic, uh, simple type of town. Uh, they take turns watching him. He obviously, the, the, the bad guy obviously has some sort of, uh, control or, uh, supernatural ability. So as the story goes on, they, pretty much realize like this guy is more than a guy more than a man he's he has something going on with him uh i'll kind of leave it off there he does have a sinister plot afoot (laughs) and uh you know i don't want to spoil anything but god damn it man i love this movie i'd never seen it and it was long but i never felt like any moments were really wasted like maybe you could have cut out some stuff and made it like a two-hour movie or something but i i feel like everything was justified everything uh was supposed to be there it helped with the character development um helped with arcs definitely we have a few different character arcs it's about all these different people who are in a town together and they've always done everything together it's always been a specific way and in comes this threat and what he wants is something that is so important to everybody um, and not only important to everybody, but it's literally like the reason to exist for most people. Um, so it's definitely very sinister. 
uh, I found that this ending was one of the best endings I've ever even seen. Um, and I'm so surprised that a lot of people have not talked about this one, or at least I've never really heard people talk about this one to the extent that I think it deserves. I mean, this is a hell of a movie. Like, I really, really enjoyed this movie. Um, and overall, like, it, the ending is so powerful to me. Like, I love the ending. And the setting with the snow and it being, like, super cold and everybody just kind of, like, stuck in this place. Um, there are a few dated scenes that just make it, you know, like, like CGI and stuff like that 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 mm-hmm. kind of hurt it a little bit but overall like it did not take away from my enjoyment of this film I give it a 9 out of 10 it's a fantastic watch crazy crazy well that sounds interesting I mean have you seen that one no Storm of the Century it is amazing like the ending is great uh, I can't believe in 1999 a miniseries was still like this strong of a watch mm-hmm. yeah I, I shouldn't say I haven't seen I actually haven't seen the whole movie so I, I'm really just kind of okay. holding back my comments because I actually have never seen the whole movie. You know what? I'll say something that I feel like if you would have just watched maybe the first two parts or something, you'd be like, yeah, it's pretty good, but it's not amazing. Mm-hmm. It's it's for that ending because that long journey, the ending well, I kind of feel that's so exa- well for, with. Yeah, I kind of feel that's where it's going. Definitely with that one, but like I said, I, I I'm gonna reserve all judgment because I I don't know. Like you might what to even say. know where the film's going, but how it plays out, you don't expect at all. And it's yeah, yeah. And I, I I really liked it. Um, definitely watch that one. One of the better Stephen King films out there, really. I mean, a nine out of ten. It's it's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool, man. I mean, fuck, <laughs> it's a pretty high rating for you. Definitely. Mr. Shit on everything. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, okay. So first up here, I'm talking about a film from 1988, which honestly, I would have never thought in a million years. Like, I mean, I could have grabbed this DVD when I was doing my 88 series on YouTube, but it never interested me. There was no way I was going to put this into the mix and it was never even one of the ones that I didn't review, but I just never even thought twice about this one. Uh, brand new double feature released by Scream Factory and, uh, which is containing Vampire's Kiss and High Spirits, but I'm going to talk about Vampire's Kiss. Um, I'm really interested to hear you talk about this one. Okay. So this movie right here, like I said, you know, in my little intro there, I had no ambition ever to check out this movie for a couple of different reasons. I'm not really the hugest Nicolas Cage fan. I don't dislike him, but I find that his body work is – he a lot of it is kind of not as good as his good stuff. But I do respect him. He does have some films I really do like. He got fun films like Con Air. Con Air oh, no, no. shit. No, no, no. There's a section of his career that's really good. I just feel now he just kind of does whatever films. and it's, Yeah. Oh, you know, it's just kind of like a Nicolas Cage film, whatever. This So this one I've always been – not intrigued by it, but I was always kind of knew about it. And I was like, I don't know about this. Never, never really looked into it. And I'm kind of glad that I waited for the Blu-ray to come out just so I could see it like in a really good quality. And I will comment on the PQ of this. It's really good. The P- the PQ is fantastic. But first off, this movie was nothing what I was expecting. First of all, by the title Vampire's Kiss, I was expecting a really cheesy, bad fucking, you know, zomcom, uh, you know, vampire comedy type bullshit, like just fucking ridiculous, stupid stuff. shit. I'm not saying the whole movie's not ridiculous and stupid, but okay. Basically, Nicolas Cage plays a very eccentric t- 
type character in this film. He's he's got a lot of mental issues. Um, he's uh, in the beginning of the film, you see him talking to like a shrink about like a breakup that he's had. And you can tell right away that it's completely affected his life. Like it, like it's affected him to the point where it like mentally he's kind of not all there and he's kind of going crazy. Now his profession, he's like a professional. He's like this volatile, uh, literary agent and stuff. So basically what that is, is I don't really know. <laughs> it doesn't really go into his profession a whole lot. He's basically a business guy and he deals with contracts and he's something to do with literary bullshit or whatever. And anyways, so to escape his everyday work life, which is pretty hectic and, you know, shit like that, he, you know, not only goes to a shrink and talks to her, but he goes out in the night. And he has, you know, this nightlife and he, he does certain things. And anyways, one specific night, he brings home this girl and, you know, his character, actually, he doesn't really have a problem getting pussy. Like he seems to be hooking up with a lot of chicks. One specific night, he hooks up with this girl and she ultimately bites him on the neck. And from there on, like she disappears. And from there on, he kind of seems like he's, you know, he figures that he's being turned into a vampire. And... But the whole movie is like super psychological because, you, you know, you can tell that he's not specifically turning into a vampire, but he's fucking losing his mind. He's getting crazier by the minute due to the, his relationship woes, woes uh, his job, and he's having all these psychological visions and he's not really sure exactly what happened with this girl, if she's real or if she isn't real. And he ultimately thinks he's turning into a vampire, so he starts acting like a vampire. <laughs> okay, really, really fucking bizarre plot. Now, this movie is not silly, goofy. It's actually like a really dark comedy, and the comedy works fantastic. It's really Are you interesting. Because we really, shit on this. When they announced this, everybody's this, like, oh my I'm God. Getting, I'm getting to it. I'm getting to that. I'll get to that. Okay, I'll, I'll get to it now then. This is a prime example of why you do not shit on something before you fucking watch it. I'm eating my own words and I admit this. I will be the first to admit this is being documented. I shit on this movie before I watched it and I as, eat my words because in the group. this is why you don't fucking do this. And I know so many people aren't going to buy this movie because they're thinking it's going to be a bullshit fucking film. This movie, I, I haven't had that much fun with a film in so long. And wow. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. This movie has a crazy premise to it and it's really psychological and it keeps you intrigued through the whole film to exactly what the hell is going on. Like you don't really know what the fuck is going on. Um, you know, it's really dark. It's not silly like I thought it was going to be. It's really dark comedy. But the thing that sells this movie is Nicolas Cage's performance. It has to be, I mark my words, the most over the top performance I have ever seen by an actor in my entire life <laughs> in a good way, in a good way. The scenes, every scene of him, you can see the elevation of craziness. In the beginning of the film, he's kind of nuts and he just starts getting crazier and crazier. And the shit that he does and the scenes, dude, are fucking so hilarious to watch. Like it's funny in a non-goofy way. And like, dude, <laughs> I can't even – you just have to see it to believe it. It's one of those films that I cannot stress and explain how insane his performance is in this film. It's so fucked up. The shit that he does to his assistant, okay, he's got this problem with this one client. They're looking for this contract and he's got this, uh, he's got, you know, um, uh, an assistant and she's misfiled this file and he basically will not let it go. He keeps hassling the living shit out of her. He makes a point of harassing her to the point where 
She calls in sick one day. He drives all the way across dirty New York in a cab, takes a cab to her house, picks her up, and is acting all nice to her and then just fucking snaps balls on her, makes her go back to looking for this file and stuff. Like this shit doesn't probably make a whole lot of sense until you see the film. But holy fuck, dude, his performance is like I I don't know exactly where he was coming from with his performance like if it was just if it came over like came about as being completely over top or if he intended that to to happen the other weird thing about Nicolas Cage in this film is that he has this really weird kind of offbeat um English accent going and there's no reason for it because it doesn't explain that he he's not foreign he's not from you know England or whatever and just in New York working he just actually has this like naturally adapted accent that you can't stop listening to it's so fucking bizarre that he talks like that and i think it's just the twist that he put on the character but like he's got crazy eyes and he just does fucked up things and like the whole end of the movie is just bizarre and insanely entertaining um like i said this was completely the opposite of what i was expecting i was expecting to really hate this film because i just i hated the title vampire's kiss but now it makes sense yeah and uh I don't know, man. Nicolas Cage's performance sells this movie to no tomorrow. And but the whole the cool thing, like I said, though, is the psychologicalness of the film. It's like it's it's really oddly done and executed, and it's got some of the most funny fucking. Mo- I I'm watching this movie after work in the morning, and I'm pissing myself laughing at parts, <laughs> like pissing myself. I actually was dying. I was like, this is such a great experience going into a film expecting nothing and coming out with so much more uh, fuck i was dying in this part where i'll just say it involves a sofa and destroying his apartment it fuck i laughed so hard man it was so funny um so i i you know ultimately after you know sucking this dick's film or the film's dick right here, <laughs> uh i essentially enjoyed this fucking movie to know tomorrow because it was a huge surprise it was just amazing fun man like i really honestly truly believe a lot of people are not going to pick this up because well i mean let's face it it doesn't look appetizing it doesn't and you know neither did the other release the love at first bite and uh yeah whatever which i've I've actually never seen either film so i i mean i've I've seen a little bit of of once bitten with uh jim carrey i don't really remember it but this one i'd never i'd never actually seen high spirits on here um but uh which i did watch also, and I will say the PQ is amazing. So good double feature overall, huh? Got um, and entertaining. Uh, Vampire's Kiss was honestly the standout on here. I loved it, man. Like, um, I'm going to give this one. You know, it does. It definitely has a couple faults in it, but you you could really overlook it. And it's a great, fun film. And they, like I said, you've never seen a performance like this ever, ever by a lead in a film. This has to be one of the most underrated over the top performances in the history of cinema. Huh. I'm not joking. This performance by Nicolas Cage is something after you watch it. Like I actually want to watch it again because it's so fucking entertaining. It's ridiculous. Um, Rating vampires kiss. I'm going to give it an eight and a half. Whoa. I'm going to give it an eight That's and a half awesome. out of 10. Um, I will comment briefly on high spirits. I'm not going to go into the plot or anything. I'll just talk about the PQ. It was really, the PQ is awesome. I will say that I didn't like it as much. It, I was expecting to like High Spirits more than Vampire's Kiss. And that's not really the reason why I didn't like it as much. I just, I'm not really a big fan of like kind of kiddie love stories. 
and stuff. You know, the, the film is PG-13 and it's it kind of got this love story kind of deal to it. But it has a lot of really interesting, you know, uh, actors and actresses and stuff. Actually, a lot of really big names are in this film. And I do see why it has a big audience. But honestly, it's not really for me. Um, I could see a lot of people loving this movie, though, but... All right, that's awesome. Uh, that was his formal apology to Scream Factory and betraying cinema in general by judging you know, shit before you watch it, which is a big no-no. I mean, I think we're all guilty of it at times, yeah. but you really are speaking the truth. I mean, don't judge a book by its cover. It's a, it's an old saying for a reason, man. It's it's true. I, I have to say, man, I'm really curious on the people that check out this film now. I think because, we need to holler at Zach because I remember him really raging you on this. Yeah, one. the funny thing is, I had heard nobody say anything about the film, you know, due to the fact that they'd actually seen it, and it was all speculation. Or just it, like, oh man, it sucks. I, I just assumed that everybody, like the people that were talking, had seen it. Like I knew I never seen it, and I I wasn't as hard. It, you guys always call me an apologist and shit, but like I wasn't as hard on them either. Like I was just like, well, I don't know, I don't know what the hell they really are. are they really that bad. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I didn't say, you know, the film is shit. I said, wow, that's a really Shitty. not interesting the double least. feature. And I wasn't expecting anything from it. I was just like, really? Vampires kiss? Like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> Check it out, people, man. It's really, really. I, I want to hear people's thoughts on this one for sure. So cool. Check it out. Uh, I guess I'll move on to my second film. And this is one that I've seen, I believe, two weeks ago, but I. Um, I couldn't really say anything about it yet. Uh, it's Digging Up the Marrow from 2014. Now, they did ask... I ended up seeing a screener, a digital screener of this, but they did ask that you don't talk about it until like two weeks before the film's release. Yeah, I've seen a bunch of reviews already come out for it, so you're good to go. <laughs> yeah, I think I was good to go last week, but mm -hmm. we didn't do what we watched or whatever. So, um, yeah. yeah, I mean... So this is, of course, Adam Green's new film, and... It. This is going to be a hard one to talk about. Um, so basically, it's a mockumentary slash found footage film. We follow Adam Green, the person, and he gets a letter in the mail that says, Hey, monsters are real. I need somebody to tell my story. I have evidence. I have proof. Just give me a chance. And I will show you that monsters are real. So Adam, along with his uh, DP, BJ McDonald, I believe also the director of Hatchet 3, um, decide, hey, let, let's let's just shoot a little something following up with this guy, seeing, you know, it, it'll be a fun video. Uh, we could make it into a documentary or something based on, like, you know, this guy being crazy or not. Um, and they meet this guy. And he starts telling them that monsters are real. They live in a place underground, which he believes is a society or a city of monsters. And there's like thresholds called the marrow, um, which is how these monsters get underground and stuff like that. He's first seen them when he was a kid. He's drawn them. He's, you know, had interactions with them. But every time you are become more aware of them, they move. They bury up their hole and they move. Um, and it also kind of hints at that these monsters are essentially people who've had a, a not like anomalies or you know at like kind of like freaks, right? 
and you know there's millions of cases or of like freakism throughout history or whatever how you want to call it and like eventually these these things disappear like they just disappear one day like they 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 die or they you know moved or they ran away or something and he thinks that these people were um the monsters like they turn into monsters eventually um interesting uh you know thought process of course adam green is like being himself right it's like him his wife's in it his ex-wife actually which was really interesting to see because they do touch in the film that his his films are like take hold of his like soul pretty much like they just he's obsessed with them and that's sort of the narrative here is that he just doesn't let stuff go like he'll just keep working on it and I find it like almost sad that like they touched on it in the film and then it ended up happening in real life where his wife like left him. Um, so, you know, I guess not to get in the plot too much more, he's documenting this, this idea of monsters being real. And, you know, honestly, this was an amazing idea. I really, really liked the idea. It's super solid. Like, it's a really cool... The way that the film's done, it's like this mockumentary style um, that is, you know, not really done that often. And the story is really interesting. Like, like this guy says that he sees monsters. He's seen them. He can prove it. Um, I feel like all of that is super interesting. The way that it's done, it's really cool. Following Adam Green, following you know Kane Hodder is in it and stuff like as real people. Um, everybody's kind of actually playing their self, which I thought was interesting too. Like Kane Hodder's being Kane Hodder. Um, it, there's only like one actor in the actual film. Everybody else is kind of just being who they normally are, just in in a scripted version. So. I find the biggest problem in this film is it just feels like it's too small in scope. It feels like they probably just, I know that they just kind of shot this thing, um, you know, very minimal, barely any budget and stuff. But I think that really hurts the film. I think that uh, there should be a much deeper, like, idea. This is a much deeper idea that needs more money. It just needs it. You like it works fine as what it is, but at the end of the day, I just felt like this should have been this should have been a bigger film because this is a great idea. Haven't seen it done before, but it just feels like it 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 was a bit underwhelming. It's a great movie in terms of like originality and concept. It just doesn't live up to it in terms of execution because I feel like it's a money thing, really, because it was all there. Um, it's just everything is is um, very kind of basic and just you don't see enough like it like they don't really explore this world they barely scratch the surface really that's what they do they scratch the surface of this idea uh it, it's solid it is a solid solid watch like i was really impressed by just the originality of it and stuff and the ending was really good too i'll, I'll give it that um and there's a lot of underlying like you know stuff that, that that if you're an Adam Green fan you'll know, and just some cool stuff that that is kind of unexplored in terms of like characters, um, that that you know is awesome as well. But overall, I give it a seven out of ten. Um, it's it's solid. Uh, could have been Adam Green's best pro- film if you ask me. Uh, I just don't feel like they they really went for it with this one probably because of money because this film was like quietly filmed here and there um after adam green got in a a letter from a fan 
who said that Victor Crowley was real and he could prove it. Um, and his original idea was to actually go meet with this guy, but thought it would be like legally not a good idea to kind of make a film like that. Um, so he decided to, you know, make it into a different script, you know, an actual scripted film. Um, cool stuff though, man. I'm gonna pick it up on Blu-ray. Yeah, this one sounds actually really intriguing. I can't wait to watch it actually. Yeah, I, and everybody out there should pick it up as well, you know, like, like I got to see it for free or whatever, but I'm still going to buy it because I like supporting, you know, this guy for one, he's a great person. Um, mm-hmm. And two, you know, I just, it, it's a good movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome. From what I've heard, man, it's just, you know, the less you know about it. It, it really is. And that's why I didn't want to say too much. Um, but I think everybody should go into this one knowing that it's not that big. Like don't ex- cuz you you're going to be disappointed like like I was slightly in the in the fact that like I feel like they just scratched the surface of this idea. So when you watch it go in expecting it to be a small film because it is. It's very small. You can tell that there was not very much money. It's it there's nothing in it that would require money. They're literally filming themselves. Mhm. Yeah, that's cool, man. It's always good to know though. Alrighty, so next up here, uh, film from, I think it's, I want to, yeah, I think it's 2010, uh, uh, directed by Fred Vogel, and it's called Sella, uh, Tersica. Now, Sella what? Sella Tersica. Interesting title. Yeah, you know, and the, the weird thing is, I've had this one sitting in my collection for so long, and I just, I actually kind of forgot about it. To be honest, and I, um, this is like toe tag, right? That's who Fred Vogel is, right? Yeah, and yeah, that's I, like I kind of native for- guy Pittsburgh, yeah. and I kind of forgot about this one, and uh, and I was like going through my unwatched collection. I was like, holy shit, I should really watch this. Completely forgot about this, and I've heard you know really good things about it. And I was like, okay, so I'll give this one a watch. Um, basically, when I fir- you know by the end of the film, it, it kind of reminded me of like. Um, it almost seemed like it was like a death dream type remake or something like that, or just like a, a version of that type story, but a little different. Um, but anyways, it's basically about a soldier named uh, Bradley Roback. He's like over in Afghanistan and something happens to him over there. Like he's a soldier. He's like a sergeant, obviously. Anyways, they're going to do their normal rounds and something happens, which they don't actually know what happened. They were just rolling in their vehicles and he's, he claims he's seen a flash of light and woke up in the hospital about three weeks later and got honorably discharged because he was all fucked up. Like he was actually paralyzed from the, from the waist down. So ultimately he ends up back home and, uh, you know, he moves back in with his mom and his family and stuff. And what happens is, is that, you know, he's, you can like the family members are like, they can tell that Bradley's not right. Like he's not right. Like he's, he went there as one person. He came back as another type deal. But the thing is, he doesn't have any recollection of really what happened to him. And, uh, so throughout the film, it's a really, really slow burn. It's a really slow burn. It's, it's really about the family and the character development and kind of watching his, um, character go from one level of sanity to, you know, a next level insanity kind of thing. And it, it kind of develops throughout the film and, and has this like crazy, crazy type end to it. 
Um, and that's really all I can say about the film. I don't want to give anything away. Uh, so my thoughts on this one, um, wow. Like, you know, for such a slow type moving film, this one has like one of the most ultimate payoffs in the end I've ever seen in a film. Uh, the last half an hour of this movie is just phenomenal. It's amazing. Um, throughout the whole film, all the characters keep you interested. Everyone's interesting. The mom is played by Camille Keaton, who is, uh, we all know her from, uh, I spin her in a grave fame. She was the girl in the original I spin her in a grave. Anyway, she plays the mom in this and every, all the supporting characters are actually pretty good. Um, you know, he's got a sister, this really hot blonde, apparently was in murder set pieces. She's dating this, uh, this black guy who's actually DJ, which is, he's an interesting character too, because he has a lot of conflict with her brother, Bradley. Um, they kind of butt heads about things and stuff. He doesn't, Bradley doesn't really approve of his career, um, path. He's, he's a DJ. It's kind of cliched, but, uh, you know, he's a DJ and doesn't really prove it. So you got that whole thing going on, but it's really well executed. You really kind of feel for the characters and, and, uh, it, the buildup is fantastic. Yeah. I think, uh, I think Fred Vogel as a director is criminally overlooked as an actual great director because I mean, a lot of people know him for the August underground films, which are, you know, films that a lot of people feel like they could do. Obviously there's a lot of, you know, other things going on on those films that you couldn't do, like the special effects are phenomenal. But as for like structured filmmaking, which, you know, those films are definitely a lot different than, you know, a film like this. This one is fantastic. It really is. It's, it's basically on the same level as like Redstone Tower, which is just an amazing film in itself. But this one's character development and the, this one has the ability to keep you so intrigued and, um, uh, you know, entertained throughout the first, you know, hour of the film until the last half an hour hits, you know, I applaud that so much that it can keep you entertained and, um, just have that ability. It's great filmmaking. You create these characters that actually really work, but on all levels, this one's fantastic. And then the last 30 minutes hit and it just, wow, man, I, I don't want to give anything away, but does this one ever turn insane? And I will say it definitely has, you know, uh, Fred's, um, you know, special effect toe tag on there, you know, it is gory, man. It is really, really well executed. Just a fantastic, fantastic movie. Um, I don't know, man, I I'm really starting, not really starting to, I think it's just recently I've been watching a lot of uh, slow burn type films that have been working on all levels, like, you know, executed perfectly, great cinematography, great characters, everything about them are fantastic. I don't know if it's just recently, it's just by chance, but this is a perfect example of a slow burn film that I would recommend to anybody. This one's awesome because it has it all. Awesome characters, great buildup, amazing ending. What, can, what else could you ask for? Right. The acting for the most part is fantastic. I think honestly, the weakest part of this film is the most famous person, which is Camille Keaton as the mom, I think that there's times in this film where I feel like she's just kind of forcing it out a little bit. And like, um, as for everyone else, it seems kind of natural and I don't know, maybe it's cause she's older. I don't know what's going on with her, but it doesn't really hurt the film at all. You don't, it, it's not a big thing at all. Um, but, uh, this one right here, I can't say anything else about it. I don't want to give anything else away. You know, like I said, it's just about this guy that's turning into something, um, you know, mentally, you know, and just essentially kind of goes off the deep end. So, um, 
but Sella Tersica, just an amazing film. Uh, this one gets by high, one of my highest recommendations. I, I, I just don't know what else to say without giving anything away. And I'm, I'm going to give it a nine and a half out of 10. Whoa. Just brilliant. It's brilliant. High ass rating. It's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I thought I was coming with some fire tonight with, uh, you know, Storm of the Century and you, you outdid me with a 9.5 tonight. So. (laughs) Yeah, this one. I highly recommend everyone picks up and watches. I mean, oh, man. It, it's nothing. It, like I said, it's nothing like the August Underground films whatsoever. You know? Yeah. I mean, if, you li- if you've seen and watched and liked Red Sun Tower, you'll love this film, too. That's actually so, the only thing that I've seen from him, so... Oh, they're not even comparable. They're completely different films. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't even know it was the same director if you hadn't looked at the, you know, the director. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, um... That's awesome. I, I mean, I guess we'll get into our segments now, huh? Yeah, segment time. Okay, so as you guys know, my segment is Horror 101. This is where I pick a documentary of sorts. I'm kind of running out now. I need to pick up some more um, of, you know, either, you know, a film series or a specific film or a specific person, something in the horror world, a specific genre sometimes. I was, you know, subgenre did uh, expo- or exploitation last time. Um, this time I decided to go with uh, one that I've been meaning to check out forever. And this one is called The Psycho Legacy from the year 2010. Uh, this is uh, directed by Rob Galuzzo, who's done some work with Scream Factory in the past. This is like his only film that he's ever done. He's ha- quite happy with that. Uh, but I know him from online, you know, a bit here and there. And he hosts probably the best podcast out there and that is uh killer pov um bunch of people in the uh you know actual horror industry you know fangoria and stuff you know talking to actual you know like tom hollands of the world and stuff like that so check that podcast out if you never have uh it's definitely worth the listen and this film follows the psycho films right from psycho one to psycho four and this was kind of your first like retrospect style uh, documentary. You know, this was kind of the first of the ones that we've seen, you know, like the Halloween uh, 25 Years of Terror and the, uh, you know, Crystal Lake Memories. His name was Jason. Uh, Elm Street Legacy. Like this was kind of the one that kind of like set the template for them, I guess. Right. Um, I-, I think this one came out first. But uh this one follows the first film, which they talk, you know, good about. Uh, you know, I, I knew a lot about the first film more, so it wasn't as interesting, but still very interesting to hear people talk about, um, you know, Psycho and why it was so amazing. I mean, it's the typical stuff, the shower scene, you know, how freaking goddamn, like, frame by frame, like, Hitchcock, like, planned that out and stuff like that. Uh, but what, what I found really interesting when they was when they got into Psycho 2, 3, and 4. Because those are ones that I have always loved and I knew little about. Like I knew the films, but I didn't know about them. That was the same thing with me when I watched the documentary. I was like so looking forward to them talking about 2, 3, and 4. And they do a good job too. They really yeah. tell you a lot of the, the, <clears throat> the backstory of the films and a lot of the like process of like, okay, how – like especially in Psycho 2, um, they talk about like, okay, how do we – create a sequel to psycho right like how do we follow it up how do we keep the story the same you know like how do we 
uh, do we keep Norman Bates there? Like, what 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 do we do? And I feel like Psycho Two is one of the most impressive like feats in sequel isms. You know, it's just like. I, I could, you know, a lot of times you read, like, you watch a sequel and you're like, yeah, that's probably what I would have done. Or like, oh, yeah, I could have, I, I probably could have done something like that. I would have never create, been able to create anything like this. Tom Holland did a fantastic job with the script. Um, it, Psycho 2 is amazing, and watching this documentary really kind of pointed it out more to me. Um, the story is so good in Psycho 2. Like, it makes so much sense. It is. How do you, like you wouldn't think that it would just be so generic? Like, oh, Norman Bates gets out of the mental hospital twenty years later. Like now he's gonna wreak havoc. It's so much more than that. It really is. Like it's so layered and complex. Um, you know, there's a lot of Hitchcock in that film, and hearing them talk about it was definitely really awesome. Psycho Three, same thing. You know, like that. That seemed like the Anthony Perkins story because he directed it. It was about him directing it. Um, kind of, you know, he kind of got typecast as Norman Bates after that. He's, he had a really, um, I felt like the overall like arc in this documentary was Anthony Perkins. It was about him. Um, you know, same thing for Psycho 4. Uh, he wasn't directing again, um, you know, back to just playing Norman Bates. And he had a lot of like bumps with the director. Cause at this point you figure Psycho 3 or Psycho 4, Anthony Perkins is the last one left. Like he's the only one that still feels like he was there from the beginning and and this is his. Um so you can kind of understand that. Like he's it was very personal to him. Uh great documentary. Like this was made, you know, I, I remember hearing an interview with Rob G back when this, you know, back in like 2010 when this came out. Like this was a fan who went out there and made this. Like this he just was like somebody needs to talk about the psycho films and he started getting calling people that were in them and getting interviews he made this purely from like a fan point of view like hmm. um he had a horror website and then he just made this like that's awesome he's never made anything else he never plans on it from what i can tell but he was happy to make this um this is this is great stuff here adam green joe lynch looking very scrubby and you know young um <laughs> are in this hmm. as well uh Overall, 7.5 out of 10, solid documentary, a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I, lo- I love the <clears throat> the discussion about, you know, um, Anthony Perkins directing part three. Yeah. And, like, just some of the things that he did and, like, you know, you don't really notice it per se when you're watching the film. But, like, when, when it's noted and you go back and watch it, like, wow, that actually pretty is pretty cool, man. Yeah. A lot, it, of, it really, a lot of stuff. Dude, that that. Those four films are really good, man. So underappreciated. I know. And it's crazy the amount of people that I think that say they don't like the sequels. They think of them as seen them. just but like. They actually haven't seen them. Yeah, and a like, lot of people think of them as like like a, any sequel. Like, oh, it's just the cheap imitation of like a great masterpiece. Like, no, this is good shit, dude. Psycho 1, 2, 3, and 4 are all really good movies. Stop judging films before you watch them, Vampire's Kiss. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, I'll, I'll, I'll eat my words, man. But like, honestly, though, I, I think it's a lot of people. I think it's the sequels are so overlooked because of how famous the original film is. I think a lot of people are just not willing to give the time to it or even watch them and stuff. And, you know, I I remember the first time I watched uh, psycho two, I was like, I don't know. I was like in a different frame of mind or something, but I like really loved it. I never even, I guess it's because it was so long ago and 
I didn't really know. Like, I mean, I knew how big Psycho was and how great it was and stuff, but it, it was a different thing. Now, if I was watching the Psycho, you know, for somebody that has all this time of build up with the Psycho legacy of the film, you know, to watch the sequels, that might be a little bit of a letdown, but it was so long ago. Mm-hmm. You know, there wasn't as much documentation and just things, you know, I, I guess it was different. It was different. So I, I, I kind of took the film for what it was and I was like, I fucking like it, man. It's really good. <laughs> but it made me appreciate that documentary made me appreciate part three a lot more from Anthony which, Perkins. Which psycho was it where the cop was getting the ice out of the thing and there was a dead body in it? Was that three? I think that's in part two. Okay, whatever one that was, I had seen that as a kid. And that's the only scene I remembered. And I remember being a kid and feeling like so, like, suspense. Like, it was just, like, I couldn't, like, control myself. I was like, oh, my God, like, he's going to find the body or whatever. Like, and that was the only time I ever seen it. And then I didn't see them until, I don't know, maybe, like, 2010 or 11 it is part three shit man and i I watched all four of them back to back and literally when i think back to like some of the best like times that i've had watching those four films in a row was one of the best experiences i've had in in Mm -hmm. the genre it was Mm -hmm. so fun they're great movies that's how i felt when i did uh i did like a mini uh phantasm marathon i think about a year and a half ago was it for the podcast uh no i actually i no it wasn't actually for the was podcast. it before the podcast yeah yeah it was when did we do the phantasm the the first phantasm or yeah. the phantasm show right um yeah that was an early that was episode eight dude episode eight okay so yeah i was definitely re-watching them again because i'd done them i'd watched them all in a when i did when i watched those films for that podcast i didn't mar- marathon them oh yeah i watched them in separate days but I actually watched all four films in a row one night and was just like fascinated by the way they end and start. You know, I was like, that is just so fucking cool, man. When you watch them in a row, it just, oh, fuck, it's so cool. But great experience, though. Watching the Psycho series back to back is awesome, too. It definitely is. Really good stuff. So, fuck, I got the goddamn hiccups right now. <laughs> Pissing me off. All right. So, would you give that one? I gave it a 7.5 out of 10. Shit. Seven and a half. Yeah, um, I find I find documentaries are really hard to rate. Like, I, I, I just kind of go by the um, Elm Street legacy. Like, that's a 10 to me. So then, like, how good was the Psycho legacy um, compared to that? I know mm-hmm. you shouldn't do it like that, but I can't rate documentaries any other way because it's, like, hard. Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right, so for my Italian Stallion of the Week, uh, this one is coming from 1964, directed by uh, Antonio Margaretti. Love his name, Antonio Margaretti. I'm probably saying that pretty close, right? Is that accent? No, it's not probably good. I suck. Um, <laughs> but this one, of course, is starring uh, Barbara Steele, the beautiful and legendary Barbara Steele. Um, and it is a really interesting uh, uh, film. It's like a period piece, too. You know, it's taking place way back in the day, and the setting's like in a castle and stuff. It's really cool, man. It's very awesome. It's a perfect example of gothic horror that you need to see. It's 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 awesome. 
So I don't want to give a lot away in this film because it's another one of those films that you can't say a whole lot about because you don't want to ruin anything. You really, the less you know about the film going into it, the better. But it basically starts out with uh, Barbara Steele's mom. She's being accused of being a witch. And of course, she ultimately gets burned at the stake in the beginning of this film. Um, and of course, Barbara Steele is obviously, her character is not very pleased with this. And kind of confronts this, uh, you know, this prince or whatever, this castle. And, uh, he ultimately takes major offense and, um, you know, ends up killing her. He, Barbara Steele's character ends up dying, like in the first, like, you know, quarter of the film. Um, and it kind of jumps forward. It jumps forward in time a little bit. Now, he is married to this girl and, uh, all of a sudden, out of the blue, Barbara Steele's, Barbara Steele's character comes, you know, comes to life and, you know, and they, they're basically exacting a little bit of revenge on this guy that's committed these heinous crimes. And, uh, you know, they're there to commit or not to commit, but they're there to, you know, revenge their deaths and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I mean, really, I just, I really don't want to say the wrong thing here. I don't want to give anything away. That's basically a very basic premise of the film. So, uh, my thoughts on this one. Okay. First of all, this film is a really, really slow burn type of film with really good character development and really interesting, uh, you know, kind of plot twists. And it's executed perfectly too. Um, if you like gothic horror, black and white films, this one's awesome. The, the, the set pieces are fantastic. The castle, uh, everything about the character, Barbara Steele is just fantastic, but the look of this film is awesome. It looks so authentic and just great, but it's really, really creepy, really creepy. There's so many great scenes that are in the basement of this, this castle and things that are going on with the characters and, and like who the character Ah, <laughs> oh, God, I can't see anything about this movie without ruining it. So ultimately, this is a must-see for anybody that loves, well, Italian cinema, if you like black and white cinema, if you like gothic horror, uh, witchcraft, um, you know, all that type of things, man. It, it's fantastic on all levels. Um, you know, I, I really can't say anything bad about this one, but Barbara Steele – ultimately plays two different characters. She actually plays her mom in this film that dies in the beginning of the film. And then she also, so she actually gets killed in this film twice. Technically it's kind of funny. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's some, there's some plot twists and like some character development that I actually can't say because it'll actually ruin the film. So, um, I'll just leave it at that. But, uh, long hair death. It's definitely one that you, when you know, you know, little about it, it'll work way better. So, um, definitely check it out. It's fantastic. It's another great example of a slow burn film that, uh, you know, I don't know what it is about these films lately, but I've been fucking loving them, loving slow burn films. I'm just watching these so late at night and just, oh, so great. But, uh, yeah, long hair death, nine out of 10. Um, great, great period piece, man. I, I'm sorry, but I don't really know what else. I, I don't want to say anything about this movie to give it away, but just check it out. It's fantastic. Really great stuff. Awesome. So that pretty much wraps up our What We Watch segment. Alrighty. So getting into the main featured reviews. I guess we can pluralize that, right? 
Absolutely. Uh, which is, um, of course, since it's, you know, Valentine Day weekend, you know, it's Friday the 13th. So which probably is... would have made sense to do one of those also. <laughs> yeah, I know. That, that's weird. We're saving them. We're saving them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so My Bloody Valentine, of course, the original from 1981 and the remake from 19 from yeah. 19 from 2009. Uh, yeah. Featured reviews. Wow. So uh, this has been a long time in the making, like we said at the top of the show. So <laughs> so first up here, we're going to do My Bloody Valentine from 1981. It's a bad time, this time of year. How many times is he going to tell this story? Don't let him tell it. I love fairy tales. This ain't no fairy tale, little girl. If you don't take it seriously, you're a fool! The first Valentine's dance in 20 years has to be something special. Look, Landers, you gotta get a lot of exercise if you're gonna grapple with Gretchen. Oh, yeah? Well, I got a valentine for her that she's never going to forget. <laughs> right to the heart, huh? In this town on Valentine's Day, everybody loses their heart. Roses are red, violets are blue. One is dead, and so are you. Valentine Bluffs. It looks like Harry Warden's back in town. It happened once. It happened twice. Cancel the dancer, it'll happen twice. In the town of Valentine Bluffs, there are many ways to die. Valentine. So My Bloody Valentine follows a group in a small town mining community. I believe, what is it, like Nova Scotia? Isn't that yeah, where it is. takes place? I, that's where it was filmed, yeah. Yeah. So. Um, so essentially, there's a huge Valentine's Day party happening. Uh, but we find out later that 20 years prior to the events of this day, there was an accident in a mine and there were some men responsible who were supposed to be doing their job. They decided to leave early for a Valentine's Day party and a man got caved in. A group of people got caved in. One person survived, Harry Warden. Uh, he was pretty insane afterwards and now everybody is starting to get picked off because Harry Warden has returned and that's pretty much your film right there. There is also a love triangle going on between our main character TJ and another character Axel and Axel's girlfriend Sarah. First off, yeah, Canadian classic. It really is, you know, I like the first thing that I obviously have to point out about this film is the mining community setting. I just think it's absolutely awesome, especially, you know, 
how it wouldn't look like this today, most likely. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it just kind of has this novelty to it where there's just this community that's that's together they all like they're they all like have like probably like rituals they all like go to work together they like get home like get off work you know all together you know they do their shower thing they go get beers and stuff and it it just has this like fun pleasurable like vibe to it yeah it really does actually um the one of the coolest things about this movie is that they actually you know literally filmed in a real mine yeah, which is interesting. I think in the remake they built that set, like that's actually a set mine that they yeah. did. So it was, you know, obviously new age filmmaking. But you know, this one is is very interesting and risky filmmaking because I remember watching a little bit, you know, special features on this, and they were saying that you know when they were filming down in the mine, it was you know it's not only dangerous as being in a mine in general, but they had you know they had to worry about you know using equipment down there because of you know electronics you know they obviously give off sparks and there's lots of different gases and stuff down there so they could actually you know potentially blow the fuck up right so you know all, all these little interesting things that they got to deal with when they're filming down there i applaud that for such a low budget film you know it, it's really truly amazing what they did for being you know whatever they were like a couple thousand feet down in the depths of the earth right I think that's pretty wild. And it looks amazing down there. Like what they did is it's really, truly amazing. So because I, I, I remember them talking about the lighting. They had to be careful on where they placed lights and how much they used. And, you know, they really had to kind of look over it because, you know, those things are creating sparks and potential flame, right? Yeah, gas. Yeah. So if anything that ruptures or any of their equipment goes bad, like, you know, it could, you know, ignite the gases and, and explode. So <clears throat> I think the whole story behind this film is quite amazing, you know, and how it turned out is just unreal. Um, one of my favorite things about this movie is the fact that, uh, all the characters in this movie, in my opinion, are pretty much likable. You know, that's actually what I was, my second point that I was actually going to touch on. Um, Jeremy actually in his clip that you guys will hear later mentions that he really didn't like the characters or they were like, so, so I find these to be great slasher characters. Like everybody feels like a real person and that's what I love about it. They all feel real. No, I, wow. I'm glad I didn't listen to Jeremy. Okay. That's interesting because, uh, I actually have the complete opposite. I think this movie has pretty much some of the most likable characters in the slasher film of all time. I think yeah, every no, character that, is actually and 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 they really do feel natural. They feel like you know, real people, right? Like like for example, the um the like friend who's uh you know has like the mustache and he's like a little bigger. Um, like I like that guy. Like he seems like a nice like friendly guy who um you know he was the one that was like cooking the food on the on the car hood and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I know, right? I mean, all those guys just feel, uh, the one scene in this film that really kind of showcases the natural, you know, feel of the characters is, you know, when they first started having the party in the, uh, well, the party after they're not supposed to be having the party at the like pool house or whatever, or at the pool house, at the pool hall or whatever. Um, but yeah, you know, that scene, just if you watch the scene and you watch the characters and the way they're kind of, you know, talking with each other and it just seems really natural. It does nothing seem forced. Maybe it's the way it's filmed. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, another scene like that is when they're in the... I think the relationship between Axel and TJ 
makes it feel very real. It's not like, hey, you're with my ex. I fucking hate you, you bastard. It's more yeah. It's more than that. There's more elements to it than that. Well, it, That's what yeah, I like it, about it. It's it, You know, it's honestly kind of driven by good dialogue, though, too, because it's like, you know, he kind of goes, well, I think TJ goes, well, you know, we got a problem. Yeah. What do you want to do? And, and it's kind of like he naturally says it like he doesn't say it to be like, you know, angry and stuff. He he's really trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think that, you know, and it just it kind of creates because, you know, with Axel, you know, he's kind of, you know, there's obviously hostility there and you're mm-hmm. not really you know, intended, you know, he, I, you know, you get probably, the vibe that they were good friends beforehand. Exactly. And, you know, you can tell that too. And, you know, even though he's being kind of a dick about the situation, you still like him because you understand where he's coming from because he's that type of character. Well, he's caught in this kind of triangle now and mm-hmm. he's just dealing with the situation. You can't hate him for it. It's just yeah, the way and, it is. And right? that's a good point too. It's because, um, normally when you deal with these love triangles, uh, normally there's the girl, and then there's the the lead character who you're supposed to be siding with, and then there's the dickhead boyfriend. But in this case, you like all of them. It's like, well, no, this guy didn't do anything wrong. He's not the dickhead boyfriend. He's just a guy who got with a girl after her boyfriend left. And this lead character guy, we're cool with him too because he's just a guy that wants his girl back. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. And they never yeah. made him like like the you know they never made Axel like the dickhead new boyfriend like mm. he's just like another guy exactly and, like it's so easy to fall in that trap like oh well let's make him the dick and that's also due to the writing too though because you know a lot of the other characters you know generally in these type of movies when somebody has a beef with someone there's always characters that take sides mm-hmm. you know in this one it's kind of like they they kind of the characters kind of back off they don't really take sides they just kind of you know let this the situation kind of deal itself and they and they they kind of talk to the characters yeah, or to the people inside. It's not like, oh, you're a fucking dick, and you know all that real garbage type fucking, you know, just animosity in the film. It's mm-hmm. really none of that going on. It's, it's actually quite intriguing how they did this. They made so many likable characters. I think, I think the dude with the mustache is so he's awesome, man. Yeah, he's, he's just, very likable. He is, and he's that perfect char- character that you probably see in that type of setting and mm-hmm. that mining community. He just looks kind of redneck, you know. He's got that foam mesh hat with a huge ridiculous mustache <laughs> kind of yeah. overweight but he likes to party and i i don't know it's like the, they're having fun like exactly. legitimately like legitimate um not manufactured fun like natural fun and it like i found that that was like one of the more impressive things it didn't look like you know we'll do a little bit of comparing to the remake you know this is a remake versus original type show um, but when you see the original, when they go it, it, or the remake at the beginning, when they ha- are in the party in the mine, right? It feels like a typical like Hollywood like manufactured party. In the original, the party feels like a legitimate like actual party, like where there's a group of friends who got together and had a party. Mm-hmm. I'm so yeah. impressed by that, like because I I find that to be one of the more annoying things in Hollywood films is like how detached from reality like their parties usually are <laughs> it's so annoying to me mm-hmm. yeah i mean <laughs> actually one one scene in this film that made me laugh though i mean i love the bartender in this film i think he's fantastic like he's actually kind of he's kind of funny <laughs> yeah i love the part when he's like uh what the hell does he say when when the one goof guy 
the one guy that's always making the jokes and stuff is he's, you know, totally ripping on the whole situation, like about the legend of Harry Warden and, and shit. And he's like, I think he leans over the, the, the counter and he's like, he says something like, be careful what you make fun of you little asshole. <laughs> that's the way he fucking says it, man. It just comes off so perfect because, oh, fuck, it just, it sounded so good. <laughs> The, there's so a good. there's a reason why people point to this one as like one of their favorite slashers of the eighties or in general. Yeah. Um when you when you make a slasher you typically need a a killer, like a look, a setting, a holiday, a something, you know, like a setting. Mm-hmm. Um and you need uh the backstory, like what like why is what's the motive. And I feel like this one really kinda captured something, much like Silent Night, Deadly Night, which is another one of my favorites from this era. And that is that um, they they just picked the setting, which happened to be a mine, and they picked the backstory, but it all happened to really work and feel very genuine. Yeah, and I like the way the story is told in this too. It's not like overly done with backstory. You kind of get yeah. the gist, gist of it right away, and it's not like overdone with backstory. And then a lot of the, the film is character development within these characters. And the other cool thing about this film is the way it's structured with the kills too. I find that this movie is actually pretty much the the poster child for perfect paciness with kills and the way it kind of goes down because this movie doesn't actually have that big of a body count when you really look at it and count it. But the way they're kind of spread out throughout the film, it, it, it kind of feels like it does, right? It has like a huge body count, but it really doesn't. And I think the way they structured it is just perfect. The pacing's awesome with the character development, the actual backstory, and the way the kills happen in the film. Yeah, everything the body goes together. Twelve, by the way, is it twelve? Okay, so it's not bad. That's not bad. I think maybe a couple of those might be. Uh, are any of them off screen? I, I don't know. I, I'm with you with the pacing though. Like it, it does feel very, and you know, it helps to have the uncut um, Blu-ray edition. <clears throat> Um, like, dude, there you because you can tell the quality of what when the newly, the, the you know the added in footage is because the quality drops. I actually really like that as an as a thing. Like, I wish you could put a filter over any like unrated version and and know what they. Well, I think it's awesome because when you watch that version, you know you see what the MPAA cut out, and you're going, "Holy fuck, man!" They it cut out the complete... so much. Well, dude. they literally there's like a whole scene at the end where it's like a couple minutes where they cut out. It's like, "Holy shit, you guys!" Like. You know, they really butchered the shit out of this film. Read from the opening kill and the opening scene. According you know, to that, Jeremy, this uncut. isn't the uncut edition, though. The fully uncut edition. It is. It actually is. I think it, it is. I, from what I've gathered, I think it is. Wikipedia says that it's not. Um, but I, I can't find any, like, other information. No, it, how is it not the uncut version? Um, because the director said there was, like, nine minutes of footage that the MPA cut and the, the, the footage that's in this edition is only about like three or four minutes worth of footage that's put back into it. Yeah. Like, I mean, but the footage that all the, all the kill scenes are uncut in this film. And that's what I was saying. I was like, well, how, like, I don't see what they could have not had in here. Cause like everything is like, looks like a full kill to me. No, it, it's, they're probably talking about like other, you know, no, he scenes. said MPAA like gore footage that was cut. No. I yeah. mean, yeah, I, I don't know about that, but I mean, really, <clears throat> I mean, unless they cut out complete scenes. Yeah, I, I don't know. Even in the I fucking film, but the way this plays out with that cut footage, you know, with, with it put back in, it seems like it's pretty damn uncut. So I don't know. But I mean, that's what they always claim. They say it's the first time it was ever released, like uncut. I don't Who knows? 
I mean, we're not the actual filmmakers, right? But no, no. Uh, yeah, I mean, the kills are great. Like some great kills. Now it it is just like I, I look at this film and then Creative. I think of some of the Friday Thirteenth um kills like that like some of the sequels where you're like you know that there's footage not in there and i look at this film and i'm like wow like this is probably what it was like this is probably the like contrast of what it is without those kills like and it one it saddens me but two it's like wow dude like this is it would be a completely different film without these kills mm-hmm. oh big time big time have you ever watched like the theatrical cut of this film no i've never seen it i've only seen this version i actually compared one time it's really fucked up to watch because, like, it's it's literally butchered. It's, like, tamed as fuck. It really is, man. Like, all the kills are so cut. Like, they actually cut every kill scene in the film except for, I think, one little part in the theatrical, I think, uh, that was left in. But they pretty much every kill was, like, completely cut. It's, it's fucking crazy, man. It really is. Like, it's got to be one of the most heavily cut films considering, you know... <clears throat> Yeah, definitely. Yep. It, it it almost certainly is. I mean, there's you can literally see the stuff that was cut out, and like mm-hmm. it's a lot that was cut out. It was left with nothing, pretty much. It really wasn't, man. Yeah, it's so funny. <laughs> I mean, when you really think about how brutal the MPAA was on that film, mm-hmm. you know, considering some of the films that passed at that time, especially in 1981, which is like the heyday <clears throat> of the slasher film. You know, for how heavily this one got cut, I'm not exactly sure what happened there. You know, because you, you see other films that weren't cut, and you're just like, "What the fuck?" But I don't know. See, I, I think that one, one of the things is back then you can make a film and it would be, you know, cut up by the MPAA, and then that's it. Like, now it's like, okay, well, we'll just release the unrated version on DVD. Like, we'll just make whatever we have to make to get it in, yeah. in you know, acceptable by the MPAA. Then we'll just, you know, make the unrated version on DVD. It sucks because nobody was doing that back then, you know, with, you know, it was just wasn't considered, right? So there was really no means to do that either so like it it sucks that all these films like just kind of got lost Uh, all this like a lot of the footage is like gone for certain films you know just doesn't even exist anymore Mm -hmm. exactly yeah it's shitty um but one thing about this movie i absolutely love is is the uh i mean obviously we're just talking about the gore and stuff but like the actual kills themselves are actually quite creative i think this has one of the best looking creative kills with the pickaxe through the bottom of the jaw uh-huh. And through the eye ever. It like it looks fucking awesome, man. Even with that cut in footage that's obviously downgraded, it lo- it still looks amazing. Dude, really even does. the heart grosses <clears throat> me the hell out. Yeah, dude, like the gore is amazing in this film. And you gotta remember, this is like a relatively low budget film that they did a really good job on these kills. And I remember them talking about it too, because they're like they put all this effort into, you know, their effects and, and shit like that. And the MPA double cut out all their work. So they were like super offended by this. Right. Yeah. So I can totally see it though. Cause like when you look at it, you're like, fuck man, really crazy. But man, that pickaxe through the jaw and the eye is just, it's ridiculous. It's one of my favorite kills actually of all time. Like I just love the way it happens. It's just so perfect. The way it goes down. It's kind of goofy, but it's, it's fun though. It's really good. And, uh, I mean, obviously the drier one is just like yeah. phenomenal looking. Like the, it just looks good. It looks really great. There's just something to me about 
the way that like a a town dance is like such a big deal in a community they like i personally you know just speaking in my real life as well like i personally miss about like the world like everybody nobody's like worried about that type of shit anymore you know it's it's not like Mm -hmm. it's not a big deal like everybody's just on their phone (laughs) Um, well exactly i mean it's supposed to be like a couple thousand people like yeah that's why i love these films so much from this era and that's why i've always been such a big fan of like films from the 80s and 70s is because it was just a simpler time and I think that horror works the best as simple, like when it's simply Mm. done. And in a simple time, it was easier to make a horror film that is just supposed to be like a horror film. Like it's supposed to, it's supposed to be, I I have, I would consider this one to be a little bit scary if I'd seen it when I was a kid, you know, like down in the mine and shit. It's kind of creepy. Like Harry Warden's kind of creepy as well. You know, the killer. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, and you know, it's it's kind of funny for somebody that was watching this film for the first time today, like you know, from newer generation, they'd be like, "Wow, you know, that that fucking you know gas mask type look, so overused." But like, this was nobody the, done it really before. No, I think this was an original look. Actually, as far as I can remember, I can't think of anyone else using that type of look up until you know, in 1981. So, I mean, it is like an original looking killer. So. In my opinion, a lot of things are based off that type of look. Surprised this one never got a sequel. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Like, this movie is one that I've always thought would, you know, would, it just seems like it should have a sequel. Because it's I such know. a great film. And, you know, what the ending is is fantastic. And I like, think yeah. this is this is definitely one of the best slasher endings. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, creepy. And- it really is, man. It's fuck the ending of the movie is just awesome. It's just so good. It's so good. It's amazing that no one ever picked it up or tried to fucking do a sequel to this. It really blows my mind. Yeah. You know, and for a remake to come out what 28 late 28 years later is my mm-hmm. blown. So, yeah, I don't know, man. This one has a lot of uh I don't know, you probably would notice but in uh in the in the bar scene there's a scene where the waitress comes up to the table and she's like who's drinking the moose head and if you look at the table everybody at the table is drinking moose head beer mm-hmm. it just made me laugh i'm like what do you mean who's drinking the moose head everybody is <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny that makes me laugh but yeah i don't know man i think this movie is basically almost like a poster check it's like it's it's almost like a perfect slasher film on all levels great kills I, I great story great i can't stu- really structure. think of any negatives to be honest that's the thing it plays out great it has a you know right from start you know it, it's executed perfectly like i said with kills uh setting gore characters and it has an awesome ending which we all know in a lot of these type of films sometimes the ending kind of ruins it you know yeah and the characters ruin the films a lot of times too you're just like fuck man the characters are such shitty they're so shitty but um but this one really kind of executes all those elements that make up a great slasher film perfectly. Definitely. Really. So, I mean, there's really not a lot of bad things to say about this one. And I don't really want to say anything else, but one scene I always found was fascinating. Every time I watch this movie, I find it interesting. And you brought it up about the junkyard, but them cooking food in the car. Yeah, I've seen people do that in real life. It just it fucking makes me kid. laugh. I've, I've never you... seen anyone do that before. And I'm just like, it's awesome. Yeah, I've seen, like, people wrap, like, tinfoil, like, 
like potatoes or like corn or something and do that I, i'm sure like back then when gas was like super cheap it made, it made a little more sense i guess i always wonder because in the film like they're just like there in the junkyard is that one of their cars or is that i think it's one of their cars because they don't they don't say or like because they're in a junkyard with all these yeah. junkers i just assume that they somehow fired this bitch up and just like <laughs> running the engine or something i'm like that doesn't make any sense why would that car be running in there but yeah so it has to be one of their cars but it doesn't really matter it's kind of yeah. funny so it's a great scene oh it really is it's great um I don't know. Did did Jeremy go on about anything else? No, I mean he pretty much that was like we touched on some of the stuff he touched on, but um, except for he just thought the characters were so so or whatever. See, I, I I completely don't understand that one bit. I think everything, almost everything in this film seems natural. Like even the dogs. You know the part where the dogs are ripping apart that bloody box mm-hmm. with the heart in there. Like the dogs. Even when the when the cop comes out and he's like, "Get the fuck out of here!" and the dogs are like trying to attack him. I mean. They're not acting, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, it just, if everything feels natural, even to that point, you know? Yeah. So, I uh, know. I, I will, I mean, I guess you can, we can do our ratings now if you, if you're cool with that. All right. So, yeah, I mean, basically my rating is, you know, based off everything we obviously said it, I, I feel this movie has like pretty much the essential, it, everything that it makes up as essential slasher film. This one just does kind of pretty much perfectly. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to give this one a nine, nine and a half out of ten. It, I've always said this is one of my, you know, this is like my second favorite uh, standalone slasher of all time. And even not even standalone, I mean, it's like almost up there for like my favorite slasher film of all time behind Maniac. But this one, I just, there's something so likable about this film. You know, I, I just, I can watch it over and over again. It doesn't have to be like a holiday type thing for me. But Nine and a half out of ten. I love this one. If you've never seen the original My Bloody Valentine, wow. Yeah. So uh, I always find it never quite get to that ten mark on your ratings. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, my rating is an eight point five out of ten. Uh, I believe the last time I watched it, I rated it an eight point five as well. Uh, so I'm just sticking with my rating. Uh, you know, I guess I'll just share Jeremy's rating real quick. He rated it an eight out of ten. So, okay, I mean, <laughs> I don't get that at all. But what's what like your eight and a half out of ten? Like, what do you what is what is it losing points for? It's not about losing points. It's about it's about how good it was. Like, it was really good. But did it do anything to, um, like, complete? Is, is is it good as in a nine to me? No, it's about an eight point five. Why <laughs> is it not a ten to you? How about that? Um, like I always say, I don't know because I think my nine and a halfs are tens. I'm just afraid to say <laughs> it's very rare that I even give a nine and a half, and I, I feel that they are pretty well, you much gave tens. two today. So not yeah, I know, bad. I know it's strange because there's nothing wrong. Like, well. With Selaturska, it, like it's not about having stuff wrong with it per se. It's just about like a film could be well, really like perfect for what it is, but I mean, is is it is it a ten to me? No, like the battery is a ten, something that grabbed my soul. This this is a good movie. It's a great movie. It's an eight point five to me personally, but I, I'm not saying that it couldn't be a nine for you or a nine point five for you or something like that. It's just um, there's nothing wrong with it, is what I'm saying. It's just it, there's nothing that blows me out of the water ten status. Hmm. 
Yeah, I, I, I honestly, like I said, I don't really know. Because like I said, it has all the elements that make up a great film, a slasher film for me. Mm-hmm. It's the same reason I give, you know, something like Silent Night, Deadly Night an 8.5 and I kind of cut it there. Um, it's a great slasher. It's probably the best case for a slasher, but it's still a, a slasher film. It's not that psychological. I mean, that like it, it doesn't um, – the storytelling isn't that impressive. I mean, it's impressive for a slasher. It's a great movie. Like it's hard to kind of argue against it um, when I really like it. So it's like it's like – I don't because it sounds like I'm shitting on it, but that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to explain like, like there's a difference between something that's like a nine or a ten or a nine point five and something that's an eight point five, and and there's not really anything wrong with it per se, but it's just it's not there's not enough right with it to make it a nine for me is is what I'm saying. Okay, it's really hard to explain. I feel stupid. <laughs> <laughs> It's well, almost I mean, like, the same reason as like why you wouldn't give something a. Like, well, that's, I don't know. I don't know. That's just what I was gonna say. Like I, I don't even know. But uh, like I said, you know, comparing this line of half to Celatursica is like there was one thing. Like I, I thought that you know, Camille Keaton's acting wasn't the greatest in the film, and you know, like I said, it wasn't like overly you know affecting it. But I guess it did. You I know, mean, it is weird. Like all films are different, but like I find this one to be just a go-to film so i i mean why did i give um you know for example okay like maniac the remake 9.5 we both rated a 9.5 why did we give it such a low rating why not a 10 you know obviously it's not low rating but like it's the same reason like there wasn't nothing there wasn't anything wrong with it it just wasn't a 10 to me yeah it's funny how we see everything so different i i don't understand jeremy at all with his uh the characters though i find that very intriguing i mean there's so just they're, complete they're, opposite they're on that. slasher characters like to him like i could see i could kind of see his argument a little bit they're just they're just to Not him me. maybe he didn't have like an attachment to like maybe he's just removed from that style of life or something so he didn't have a me i see these as like the good old boys in my town or something you know what i mean like like i have an attachment to that kind of character maybe he didn't yeah i mean whatever i mean Real life and film, though, I don't know. I, I really can, you know, separate myself from that. I just kind of take them for what they are on screen, right? All right, so moving along to the My Bloody Valentine remake from 2009. Exactly what did you see? Something was following us. horrific event this town has ever seen authorities are calling this the valentine's day massacre in the town of harmony something unexplainable hello is happening come here you better check this out what is it this january Prepare to witness. What do you want? The most frightening 3D motion picture event to tear through the screen. (laughs) 
Bloody Valentine 3D. Nothing says date movie like a 3D ride to hell. All right, why don't you hit us with the synopsis this time? <laughs> the synopsis of My Bloody Valentine 2009 is pretty much identical to the 1981 film uh, with a little bit of different characters. <laughs> it's pretty much what it is. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't really know what else, how else to say it. Yeah. It's just details that are different. Yeah. There's minor details, but we'll get into those while we talk about it. So the synopsis is basically the exact same. Um, in the beginning of the film, Harry Borden actually, um, instead of, uh, being sent to a mental institution, he actually is put into a coma and it takes place uh, like a year after he breaks out of there and, uh, you know, goes on a rampage and then eventually gets shot and killed by the town sheriff who's played by Tom Atkins. Or so we think. We so never we really think. know. We never yeah. really know. He escapes into the mine. So he escapes in the mine and, and then, you know, is potentially killed and buried by the town sheriff from some vengeance type deal. Um, and that's kind of like basically the minor differences right there. You still have the same characters with, uh, with Tom who, um, was apparently the cause of the whole accident that led to this whole Harry Warden fiasco. Um, he goes away for, I think 10 years, right? Cause this one actually yeah, it, is different. It's a good bit of years. In, in the original story, it's actually 20 years later. Yeah, this one's party. not this as This one's many. actually 10 years. It's, uh, yeah, he disappears after this accident that apparently he caused down in the mine to, to have this whole Harry Warden thing. Anyways, he disappears for 10 years, shows up 10 years later, and then all of a sudden some killings start happening. Yeah. And, and, uh, there's and also the love like, triangle again with, uh, yeah. But this time, we, Axel is now the sheriff of the town. Exactly. Which is an interesting spin on it. And he's with Sarah. They have a kid now, too. So it's not like a teenage, mm-hmm. like, young adult relationship. It's a legitimate, like, family. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Thomas comes back and he wants to be involved with her again. Um, we also have the sheriff who's actually cheating on her with another town girl. Yep. Of course you got that. You know, got to make him a fucking sleaze bag pretty awesome so to me this one um did probably what i like most about remakes is to take the core idea right and then create your own story with it which is exactly like what the hills have eyes remake did there's certain aspects that are the same but they change a lot too and it's like now it feels like two different movies instead of just a copy of another movie you know i mean the the core idea is still there but i feel in this one that they just kind of changed you know i mean with axel's character he's obviously you know a cop in this one um i feel like they just kind of switched around things a little bit and you know i will say though well actually we'll get to that after but i feel like just certain minor changes are decent enough you know comparative to the original but uh I don't know, man. I, there's certain elements of this film that really, bu- like, I, I, I do like this film, but I, th- I think there's certain things that are kind of, that shouldn't have been done. First of all, I'll start with this. Watching this film on repeated viewings isn't really the best idea. <laughs> because I find you know what? that. I'll agree with that. Okay, so once you watch this film once, you're like, you know, by the end of the film, or once you find out what's, you know, what's going on, because they do change some things. Um, you know, it's cool. You're like, oh, 
okay, that's kind of interesting. But when you watch it again, you know the ending of the film throughout your through your second viewing. And then you're kind of watching the film going, okay. And then when you watch it multiple times, you start picking out everything. You're like, well, this actually doesn't really make a lot of sense in parts, theoretically, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they do have an explanation and stuff, but I mean, it's just like, uh, I don't know. This one isn't the best one to watch over and over again. I think it's really good for like that one time watch, especially if you've seen the original one. It's a good comparative piece. You're like, oh, that's actually a pretty decent remake. Um, but, uh, I don't know, man. Like, you, you, you agree with that though? No, I, I agree that the multiple watch thing for a few different reasons. Mm-hmm. actually kind of hurts the film a bit. One, it's yeah. just not as entertaining on repeat viewings. Like, the original film, I've watched probably about three or four times now. I've liked it just as much every time. Mm-hmm. This one, the first time I've seen it, I loved it. And I've never even came close to loving it since then. I do really like it. It's To me, it's a solid remake. And, I, I like, yeah, they didn't change a whole lot. I, I think they changed a good bit, though, man. I mean, like, I, I really do. Like, like the whole ending is is completely different and not only that but like the setup is kind of different as well like now we're dealing with like the son like this kid who caused this shit to happen um which adds a different dynamic to it and then we deal with we we have like the sheriff um i I feel like the love triangle yeah it's still there but it's a lot different this time Mm -hmm. now we're led to um want to dislike the sheriff character when originally we didn't, which is what I was talking about. That's usually negative. Um, But I feel like because of how it's resolved, really the only person I ended up hating was the girl. uh, Which one? Like the... the, Sarah, the the lead. Oh, Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I didn't like her. She's dumb. (laughs) Well, I mean, it does say later on that she's like, you know, I kind of kind of saw what the hell was going on and stuff i mean i don't know i mean i never really think as her as like a really dynamic character i think she's just kind of i always feel like she's just kind of caught in between past and present you know what i'm saying like she has this you know obviously history with tom you know, and she's married to Axel now, so she's kind of caught between. And he's just he like literally like up and left one day, you know, out of her life, and then she comes back. And of course, you know, you don't fall out of love with somebody just because you know they leave. You know, when they come back, it's like I understand exactly where her character's coming from. You know, it's not like they had this messy breakup or whatever. She was just gone. You know, it's hard to like lose what you have. I mean, it'll deplete over time, but I feel like she's just kind of caught in between past and present, and. uh you know, but at the same time, like, I mean, I think Axel's a total dirtbag in the I film. like Axel. I, I think Axel's the most likable character out of all of them. How? He's fucking cheating on his wife. Okay, but as How is you that can likable? see, as you can see, she was not inve- – maybe he's cheating on her because he she is not emotionally invested in him. Because we see her quickly drop him as soon as Mr. Wonderful comes back to town. Well, I mean, this, this is all open for interpretation then, I guess, really. I mean, you could look at it anyway. You could you I, could say that he's cheating on her because he doesn't like her mom. That's not shown in the film either. Yeah, yeah it's, it's openly it's shown that. At. It's hinted I, at because he also says, you know, that you can see 
by something that he says later in the film that I that you know you can leave me whatever just you know don't do this that shows that he really loves her no matter what and mm-hmm. it's not it's not just about the uh you know uh, spoilers fucking spoilers <laughs> um but you know I, I feel like he really was driven to cheat on her like that's what I got from it no the, you know what I got from it? I feel like he's jealous of her past relationship, even though the guy's not even in the picture. That's the way I see it, man. He or is fears, he pissed he off fears. that she is is going after like a like a like she's a, she's still hung up on somebody who's wasn't good for her in the first place? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's how he yeah, feels. Yeah, but I I feel that he's just he's kind of jealous of what she had before and the fact that they never really had like a real end to their relationship. So he always kind of lives in fear of that. So maybe he kind of resents her for that. You know, maybe he feels that she settled for him. They had kids and that's why he cheats. He feels like it's not even doing anything bad. You know, I don't know. But he also has regrets while he's doing it. You could tell. Yeah, of course, because he's, he's human. You're still cheating on your wife. Of course you're going to have regrets. You still married her had a wedding and had kids, of course you're going to have regret if you're cheating on her. Everybody would. He's not a sociopath. But like... Where is he? Well, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know. But, there, there's but, a lot of know red hands in this It film. doesn't matter what the circumstances are. You're still a human. You'll have regrets no matter what. He knows what he's doing is wrong. You know? But I mean that whole dynamic, that whole kind of triangle of grief <laughs> that got going on there is... You know, it's it's entertaining you know, to a certain degree, definitely on the first watch. I thought it was even more complex than than you expect out of one where it's like where it's talking about, um, you know, it, like how I explained in the in the first film. When you have these, it's normally like, this is the dickhead. This is the good one. Like, I feel like even this one does a good job of being kind of complex. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, it definitely does. You know, I, th- I think they work that really well in the storyline, um, I guess. You know, I mean, it's definitely essential, right? I, I mean, I, you know, yeah, it, it's not it's, just like it's, it's not more just like it's thrown than in the there. First one, if you ask me. Oh, totally. But you know, the first one, you know, this one kind of more focuses on that. Mm-hmm. The whole kind of story and, and, and part of the film the, kind of revolves around that love triangle a little bit. See, that's where they took the second one compared to the first one, and it, you know, they 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 took that simple simple story and then they created a bigger picture out of it. Is mm-hmm. what they this did. one's more psychological as well, but. Um, yeah. I, see, I think it works because just based on our discussion we just had, we we both see that love triangle from com- two completely different points of view. Mm-hmm. And I I see it from Axel's point of view, um, oh, in terms of of like he's the good guy in the in the situation. Oh, and you that, see it a- as he's just a cheater. Yeah, totally. I mean, completely. Because I feel, yeah, like I, like I said, man, I, I feel that he's doing it because he has resentment towards his wife that he figures that doesn't really love him. So he's just doing it. You don't need to be cheating, dude. Even if you talk it out, man. I mean, there's obviously other situa- situational things you can do. You don't have to I don't know. Che- See, cheating is not the answer for listen, anything. Dude, I, I guess you have to actually. Well, no, listen. I, I, I think you have to actually look at what cheating is, okay? You might just look at it as sex. I'm looking at it. She's already cheating on him emotionally. And that's worse sometimes, man. I, 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 I am totally the guy here, and you're totally the girl. Emotionally? What? 
emotionally seriously like sex is sex dude but if you're if you're gonna go and be emotionally invested in like you can tell he's not but he's, i explain not, why like, she is though because they never had a proper breakup you know they never had a proper breakup it would have been different if they completely had a formal breakup you know and then she moves on you know it probably would have been a lot different for her but the point of, of the you know the fact of the matter is is that he left without saying goodbye and she never felt like she, you know, had that proper, you know, breakup, you know, they're not done. So she was always kind of still, you know, there. I think that's exactly what it comes down to, you know, that's just the way I see it. And, and then I, you know, you see the out, the husband on the outside looking in going, well, fuck, man. He even brings it up in the film, you know, at least once or twice about her, you know, not being fully invested in him because, mm-hmm. you know, Tom's back in town. He's your real true love and stuff. But I mean, I think that's exactly that's why I see him, him as the go. victim here. Like he's oh. the one he's the one that, that like is is the victim. Like, I feel like they're playing devil's advocate here. Like, Holy shit, man. He he's he's really yeah. Victim? Yeah. OK, he's cheating. That's a bad thing. Yeah. Don't do that. OK, uh, but she's cheating, too. And. But I feel like he would have never cheated if she was there in the first place. Unlike her, who would have cheated all along. Right? Am I right? You said it yourself that he is jealous and pushed to the side for her and this guy. I didn't say that he was pushed to the side. I said he's to the point where he feels like he's jealous of their past relationship. Tom, you know, he's obviously But does he have a good reason to be? She kept his picture. She's looking at his picture. She runs off with him. Yeah, I know, but there's like there's alternative, you know, measures here, man. You don't have to fucking, you know, start cheating. Just talk to her, be like, hey man, you know, like seriously, like we're married, he's a blast from the past. Fucking cares, man. She he obviously doesn't love the girl that he, he's with. The, oh, totally. The, the, he doesn't the, he totally doesn't. The chick that he's hooking up with. Um, he has love for her, it looks like, but he doesn't love her. He loves his wife, and his wife doesn't love him. Is what the, mm-hmm. it, it feels like to me until. Yeah, but it still doesn't give you the right to cheat on her. Then break no, up with I'm, her. I then agree break up with her and bad. then go and fuck some other sloozy there. I, I agree that it's That's a bad just... thing that he's doing. Like I, I, I'm with you on that, but but maybe she should have broke up with him if she wasn't there. You know. Yeah, but but it, it it's different though with her because she doesn't know if he's ever coming back or whatever. Like she's just hung up on him. She's but, emotionally, but he, she does know once dist- he's there. She's emotionally distant. It doesn't mean that she doesn't necessarily love him. She's just in a different place because she feels that, and oh, especially when Tom comes back. You know, that's the whole thing. But holy fuck, man. We spent a lot of time on that. <laughs> this is like a soap <laughs> opera. Jesus. Okay, let's get to the, you know, like the comparative stuff in this film. I mean, you know, like I said, or like we said in, you know, this one basically takes – that love triangle from the first one and, and kind of, you know, almost exploits it to the whole point of the film in the remake. I think that's interesting. I, I do like what they did with that. You know, I think it's, it's interesting. It's not necessarily something that I love, but I do like that they, you know, what they did with that, you know, at least they took it in a different direction. They didn't make a fucking psycho. Yeah. You know? Like, you I know, but this I, one right here, I, I will think admit, it was though, smart in the way that it ended too, because like, it's okay. Maybe it's not the best ending in the world, right? Like we've seen it before. We've seen this ending before many times, actually. Yeah. But the idea is you have the ending in the original. Like, okay, we actually have a perfect opportunity here to do something that nobody's expecting, and they did. Yeah. And now after we've seen it a couple times, it loses its pow. But at first, I was like, whoa, 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Todd Farmer, dude. He's funny in this. Yeah. I mean, you know, okay. Another thing about this movie, I find that, you know, the, this one feels more of like a, uh, it almost feels like the way it's kind of going down, it feels like more of a uh, random slasher film. You find that with like when the killings are happening, like, because you don't really know, you know, what's going on. I know on. what you're saying. Like when we're introduced to Todd Farmer's character, yeah, it's specifically to get killed. Like we're not introduced to him beforehand. It's mm-hmm. him and his chick, and we follow them until they meet their demise. Exactly. And that totally feels random, you yeah. know, until you find out, you know, after they do the investigation, why these people were killed. Yeah. But it does have this, like, very kind of random feel to it. And honestly, they don't really have a lot of uh, mine action in this one. I think really the last 15 minutes or 20 minutes, they're kind of down there. It almost, I think do- it's like the last half hour, to be honest. No, I don't. I don't even think it is. I think it's like twenty minutes. I think yeah. I I checked the clock just to make a note of it, but I think it was only about twenty minutes. But I don't know. And that's you know, it just. Well, my problem I'm, with this is it's actually too long. It's an hour. It's it's like I feel like this should have been straight up. Yeah, I thought the same thing actually. There's definitely scenes in this film that probably could have been cut right out or shortened, or mm-hmm. you didn't need some. There definitely was parts. I thought the same thing. Yeah, this one runs actually about fifteen minutes longer than the original one, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, and the first one, like I said, has great, great pacing. I think this one does drag in parts. Um, but and you know what? The other thing about this movie that kind of bugged me, man, was how I know this is a weird observation, but just how generic the casting was in this one. At least in the first one, I could tell people apart. Like even I found with Axel and Tom in this film, like they're obviously different looking, but they're mm-hmm. very similar in look, you know? Well, like see, they almost cast like the same person twice to play. Well, I don't know if that was done purposely because of what maybe the relationship, maybe how she was attracted to Tom, and then actually maybe I'm looking too much into it. But it's funny because I, I like normally have person. that. I normally have that problem with '80s horror films where like I can't tell anybody apart. But yeah. it's like reversed in this situation. But yeah, um, yeah. I think I think that like. To me, personally, I didn't really like anybody in this film except for Tom Atkins and Axel. <laughs> yeah, I I don't care for Axel one bit, actually. Um, Tom Tom Atkins was fine, even though he plays kind of a... He's not shady or anything. He just... He knows he did something a little wrong, you know. But, you know, it's he, Tom Atkins, man. How can you hate him? <laughs> so, I don't know. So who's um, the more likable character, Axel or Thomas? <laughs> well, I mean, for, to be honest, you know, when you're watching the film, uh, Tom, because, you know, you can kind of, you you sympathize him with him, but you don't at the same time. It's like, because he has this, he has this uh, trait, like his faults, because who the fuck just bails out of a town and leaves everyone hanging and leaves his mm-hmm. girlfriend there. And, you know, that that's a shitty trait. Like you're, you're a fucking asshole for doing that. But then you come when he comes back, you know, he's playing the sensitive guy. He's like he's kind of trying to make his peace. He's trying to steal somebody else's wife is what he's doing. Well, essentially. But at the same time, the guy's wife that he's trying to steal or the guy's husband or the girl's husband is fucking cheating on her. So at the same time, he's make it right. Dirtbag. Well, no, he shouldn't be cheating. Um, But, uh, you know, you know what it is. Axel for life is all I'm saying. Oh, God. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, I don't know, man. So what do, you, what do you think about the kills in this film? I think I, 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 I actually it, don't I, love, like, many of them. Okay, the first thing I will say, 
just before we get into the kills, I think honestly watching this movie in 2D hurts the film. Well, I watched it in both. Like not like the real D, but the red and green. Yeah, I've never watched it in 3D, but like when you watch this movie 2D, you just see the cheesiness of where the 3D was supposed to be. Especially with the gunshot, I'm just like, oh, yeah, God, yeah. it's so bad. But, you know, there is – they don't overdo it in this film, I notice, like with those things coming out of the camera. But there is notable scenes where they do. And there's just, a like, lot, man. There's a lot. If you watched it in There's three, five or six really, like really, really notable ones. Mm-hmm. The other ones are kind of like, okay, you know, that's passable. But there's five or six, you know, at least. There's a scene where he stabs somebody up through the jaw. And then he lets go of the pickaxe so that you can see the wooden handle sticking at you. Then he grabs the pickaxe again and finishes the kill. Like, he literally lets it go in the middle of the scene. It's kind of awkward. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But, no, like, okay, um, I think this would have been a blast to see in, like, the good 3D. Even yeah. it with the red and green, dude, it looks pretty damn awesome in 3D. Like, even with the red and green. So, um, I like it in 3D. I, I wouldn't, I didn't watch, I, last year when we did this film, I watched it in 3D when we were supposed to do the show on it. Um, this year I wanted to just watch it regularly because one, last year, um, you know, I, I hadn't seen it in 3D and I wanted to check it out. Like, but it's not something I look forward to doing because it, it, by the end you're going to have like a weird headache every time. Um, but yeah. I, I like it. I think, it, I think it's fun to do every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just would never subject myself to that. I hate 3D films. Mm-hmm. I really can't stand them. But um, yeah, I don't know, man. I thought that uh, <clears throat> as for the kills in this film, I thought that the original one, the the original film is way way superior in kills. In this one, they tried to mimic a couple films, obviously with the uh, <clears throat> the pickaxe going through the jaw kill, the dryer one, which was executed po- so poorly. Just the way they did that scene was completely didn't have any of the same feel as the first film, but it just felt very generic. They just kind of threw it in there just to be like, oh, hey, we can do this one too. I thought it looked really shitty, to be honest. Um, but I, I will admit, though, the pickaxe scene through the jaw, I fucking howled, dude. I was laughing so hard when the body was going into the roof. <laughs> ah, it gets me every time, man. Because it's like a little person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, man. It's, you got to admit that's really funny. I mean, it's mean as hell. What but... was up with that little person's cleavage? Little, I don't little know. much for. I don't know. <laughs> but that part <laughs> fucking. Every time I watch this movie, it makes me laugh, dude. It fucking kills me. <laughs> um, I will say though, this one de- definitely does have a higher body count. It's pretty gory though. Like even the, you know the opening scene where you know Harry Warden breaks out of the hospital. Uh, they don't show the kills. There's a but they lot show... of aftermath there. Like yeah, I love a that lot of aftermath. Yeah, like the body on the bed, dude. I was like, oh my god. But yeah, th- that was actually pretty interesting because that kind of sets it up. Mm-hmm. You know, quite. You're like, wow. You know, wow. This one's gonna be fucking gory as shit. But you know, there is a little bit of CGI in this one, obviously, um, which I, I feel. You know, I guess is essential when you're doing these kind of kind of 3D films. I guess. Uh-huh. But I like the. Uh... There's a lot of uh, sorry, getting a little tired. There's a lot of um, I, I thought that this one just scope feels a little bigger. There's like some helicopter shots and stuff of like the belts for the coal and shit like that. I, I enjoyed just touching on that a bit. But overall, I mean, I like this film. It's it's not as good as the original. Um, and there's definitely things that 
you know detract from it and you know re- with repeat viewings it's this is one i probably will not watch for another like five years yeah it's definitely one i don't want to revisit for a twice long time in either. a year twice in like you know one calendar year is enough for me yeah this one is definitely notably sleazier too i i don't know like you know the part with uh with what's his face in the in the chick in the hotel oh, room she there. the whole she walks around completely she's, she's literally buck naked the whole time but there's a there's a part in that scene that makes me laugh though like after he tells her that that you know that she's a hooker she he he goes outside and then she fucking runs over to grab her gun and she literally swipes the clothes off her gun and then runs out naked i'm like you just yeah. put a blouse on like you're going outside kind of deal i'm like that's yeah. so fucking sleazy that's totally just like the way they wanted to to do the film you know throw a little tits and muff in there fuck it's funny yeah. always makes me laugh though but I don't know. Jamie King, man. I, I know you didn't like her, but wow, is she ever Jamie King of the remakes, right? Uh, Jamie no? King. Who's that? The the main girl in the film. She's from Silent Night and Mother's Day remakes. And she, Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. And um, My Bloody Valentine. She's been in three very, very high notable remakes. Wait, she was was she in she you said she was in Mother's Day? Yeah. Who did she play? She was one of the girls in Mother's Day. She was the, was she the main the blonde, girl. She was the blonde girl. The main girl. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't like her in that either. Maybe it's just her. <laughs> anyway, she's the cop in Silent Night. She's the main character in Silent Night too. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyways, Jamie, I just found it funny that Jamie King of the remakes. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's just kind of weird. But I don't know. She's okay. But I, I don't have anything against her. I don't think she's great or anything. But yeah, she's an awful character. <laughs> Ah, uh, that's so funny. That's yeah, so funny. I mean, I don't, I don't have much more to say about it. I mean, I mean, I really don't either, man. It, it's a, it's a remake I do like, but it's one that I'm, you know, I'm not crazy, crazy about. So it's definitely a fun movie. It's just not good for rewatch. No, it really is a bad remake to rewatch. And you know, I don't know if that's a spoiler, but it's just, you know, it's one of those ones that just once you've watched it once, you know, upon remake or rewatch remake. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you're just like, okay, it, you know, it almost makes you seem like it's like, oh, well, that was obvious, you know, but I don't know. Ratings. Well, Jeremy gave it a five. Five. Wow. Crazy. I'm going to give it a seven. Uh, I actually give it the exact same thing. Seven out of ten. Five. Wow. That really surprises me. Me too. Ooh, oh. Cause I thought he liked this one. It's interesting. I wasn't expecting a five out of there. So, uh, yeah, I gave it exactly the same thing a seven out of 10. I just, it's a seven. It, it yeah. really is like it's, it's fun, but it's not anything amazing. All right. What's going on, everyone out there? As you guys probably have listened to so far on the 22 shots of moods and horror podcast, I am not on the show this week because as you guys know, I am an up-and-coming filmmaker. Well, that's what I'm going to school for, of course. And um, I got put in charge of working on a film set this semester. Being a, uh, I'm working with the second AD, who is mostly uh, in charge of doing paperwork and things like that, uh, daily call sheets and stuff like that. So... Um, this semester I have quite a bit of production meetings and things like that with the producer and, uh, you know, the line producer and, uh, you know, all those fun things that go into making 
the things that we love to watch. So as you guys are listening to this right now with Mudes and JP, I am, of course, not there because I am at a producer meeting for locations because um, the film I'm working on actually takes place in a uh, forest. It's a horror film, which is awesome that I got um, the chance to work on the genre that I love so much. So that was already a very cool thing right off the bat that I was able to do this. So um, we have a set that takes place in a forest and Unfortunately, if anybody knows out there anything about Chicago, we don't have too many forests in the downtown area. So the suburbs, you know, there's quite a bit of, you know, uh, forest preserves and forests and things like that. But unfortunately, um, in the city, um, if you guys know anything, like I said, it's completely flat. So you are pretty much fucked when it comes to that if you want to plan to shoot anything in a wooden area in the city of chicago so luckily um it's a grad film so they were you know they have a little bit more boundaries than um let's say a bachelor degree student so they're able to have a you know a 30 mile radius from uh downtown to where they're allowed to shoot their film so that gives us a little bit more room to work with the finding somewhere that would be a good fit for the film. So uh, tomorrow's all locations and, um, you know, location scouts and stuff like that is going to come in. And we're going to talk about trying to find somewhere to get this thing made. Um, so, yeah, this is actually a kind of a legit type of a film. You know, it's low budget, of course, but, um, you know, it's a hundred person film crew. So it is quite, um, you know, for a film, a student film, quite a large production on that aspect. And, you know, they get to use the really expensive cameras and things like that. So pretty excited to go and do that um, tomorrow. So tomorrow is really the first meeting to get going. And then as time goes on, um, I'm in my the end of the third week already. And we're going to shoot in week 10 um uh thursday friday saturday sunday shoot so it's only a seven page script it's not very long whatsoever it's a short but there's a lot of dense and interesting things in that um seven pages so uh whenever i finish that and it's gets posted online i'll be sure to drop you guys a link to that kind of stuff so if i'm ending up doing this you know me talking by myself um more often then you guys know why because i'm uh working on that and um unfortunately my schoolwork comes before having to do the show live with moods and jp um i know their lives are crazy as well and you know stuff comes up and things like that but you know this is really probably the biggest type of project that i've had to work on so far in film school and i really didn't want to say oh you know i can't do it because i have um, prior engagements with the show and things like that so it's not going to be an every week thing no way um, I'm planning this is probably be the only problem for you know seven weeks or so until we get closer to shoot day and then I might miss the Friday that we're shooting but um, as we get closer to that we'll figure it out so um, I'm going to be giving do my typical um, segment for this week's show and then i'll give you my thoughts about what i thought about my bloody valentine um, i won't get into too much story detail based because i would assume moods and jp are going to handle that aspect of the review so 
for this week's Jeremy's Midnight Movie. Of course, every week where I review a different IFC Midnight film, because you guys know that is my shit. And uh, this week, we'll talk about a film that I actually watched before, um, back in like 2012, 2013. And um, I absolutely hated it. I thought it was complete and utter crap. So I figured for this week I would give it another shot and hopefully think that maybe we would get better results from the film. But unfortunately, that is a big fat no. And it's a film titled, titled Spider Hole. Now, if you guys follow me on my channel and things like that, uh, you've heard me talk about this film as being one of the worst uh, IFC films that they released. And um, I thought maybe I was being a little bit too harsh on it, so I decided to give it another watch. And, of course, not not too good. And I just want to let you guys know right now that even though I'm not there, there will still be... Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So let's get back into the plot of this film. So this film follows uh, these four mischief friends who, you know, are like, oh, I hate life and I hate my family. They're assholes. I don't want to live with them. So, of course, they'd be squatters and they go around trying to find a place to live at for free and party and be like, yeah, we're outsiders and we hate society and things like that. So come across this house um this abandoned house and they break in there and they start to party and live there and things like that and then you know one goes walks in the basement by himself and you know shit starts to go down and um a evil force starts killing them one by one. Oh god how much more generic can you get with this one folks i mean uh, you got your annoying teenagers who think they're better than everyone else, and then you got the abandoned house because they think they're too cool to go in there because they think no one lives in there, and of course people actually do. And then of course you have your evil ghostly force picking them off one by one. Ugh, it's so boring and the acting is complete, complete and utter shit. I mean, it's just terribly, terribly terribly acted and the effects are just oh like i said complete and utter shit and the film still as the second watching you know i figured i might be a little bit lighter on it but still it's this crap and i've been watching shit lately like when we get back to the what we watched segments and when i come back and you hear the films that i've watched lately You've been, you probably noticed that I have just watched shit after shit after shit after shit. And it's starting to get on my nerves because I've watched nothing but shit for a good two or three weeks now. Besides, you know, we'll get into my bloody Valentine. But just, uh, just complete, complete, complete and utter garbage from this one. Do not check it out. It's just crap. Um, I'm not going to give it as low as a 1. I'll give it a 2.5 out of 10 because at least it's watchable and it's on the same level as my bloody bloody homecoming. Same fucking title. On the same um, cover and uh, same kind of shittiness as my bloody... See, I did it again twice in a row as of um, bloody homecoming. It has the same title. Come me a fucking break. But um, 
yeah, do not check out Spider Hole. It is complete and utter shit. So hopefully next week when I pick out another interesting film to watch for uh, my segment, hopefully it is not complete and utter shit. Let's get into this week's main review, which My Bloody Valentine, of course, came out in 1981 during the what do I wish from this film and what do I think about it. Um, It is a fun, fun, fun fucking slasher film. I actually um, have this on Laserdisc. I have it on DVD2, the, uh, you know, the three-minute cut version. We'll get into that in a sec. But, you know, it's just something about, you know, these slasher films. I just like to go and pop in a grainy, shitty version of, you know, a low-budget slasher, what this is technically is. So I watched the Laserdisc version, which is cut. And, um, of course, there is a three-minute cut version released by Lionsgate, and there's still six minutes of cut footage that supposedly still exists, so hopefully someone offers it sooner or later. Who knows? But um, let me let me give you some of my opinions about the, the kills. I love the atmosphere in this film. It is fantastic, especially the beginning in the mine. I've talked about this before when I talked about Beneath. Not many people... Uh, replicate the mine setting well and my blood valentine definitely represents it pretty fucking well because it they you know they go down there in canadia and they you know they shoot it and it's just really really well done it has the feeling that beneath failed on in my opinion so that's already a plus once there now let's talk about the kills um the kills pretty fucking good for a you know um hyped friday the 13th film released a year later um now i always wondered you know halloween 2 came out in 1981 too so the face dunked in the pot of boiling hot water eh is it really you know can't say that it ripped off halloween 2 with michael dipping that person's face in the hot the hot water of in the hot tub because we see that so it's not really a ripoff so you know i love when people get their heads dunked in in hot water i think we talked about that before on the halloween show that that's probably one of the the coolest the coolest skills and the pickaxe through the eye is pretty cool as well get into that when we get to uh you know 3d in the sequel in the remake and overall it just has some really really interesting and interesting kills i can see why a lot a lot of people really love this film i do too it's a really interesting slasher um yeah it's actually one of one of the better ones from uh, that era, in my opinion, um, besides you know the burning, which also came out in 1981, and Halloween 2, of course, which came out in 1981. Which I wonder why Moods picked 1981 for a series because 1981 is fucking awesome. So it was one of good slasher. It has good character, likable characters. They're not your while they follow some tropes of your typical characters. They're not really anything different than. Your typical Friday the 13th is Halloween type characters, but you know, they're not as annoying and bad, and um, it's worth it just to watch it just for the kills. Like I said, hopefully, we get some kind of aspect of that cut version sooner or later, and the ending in this film is pretty fucking cool as well, I have to say. Um, one of the cooler endings of the slasher genre, so. Check it out if you guys like a cool, atmospheric type of film. I know Moods and JP probably talked about this quite often. I'll give My Bloody Valentine an 8 out of 10. So, 
let's get into the remake now. Now the remake, okay, so I actually saw this in theaters on when did this come out? January nine January sixteenth, two thousand nine. So that was a Friday. Called my grandma up and I saw it on January seventeenth in three D, of course, because you know, three D at this time was just starting to come back. It wasn't really hot at the time, but um, you notice in trends in cinema history that you got, you know, 3D became really popular, you know, in the 50s. It fucking died, came back in the 80s, died, and now came back, you know, 2008, 2009. And it's starting to die again, thank God, because I'm fucking sick of it. So now we're probably, you know, we probably won't see 3D become popular again until 2035, and by that time, we're fucking have films shot right into our memory, so it does okay. Let me comment on the 3D before we get into anything. It does okay on the 3D. Um, it's a lot better than a lot of 3D films, to be completely honest. Um, it actually uses it in the way that it should by having things, you know, fucking come out at you and things like that. So I have to give it credit that at least it used the 3D technology in a better way than... Um, you know, most horror 3D films like Frightening 3D, which is this complete and other shit, and it did not use the 3D whatsoever. as this crap. So, so what's, you know, the difference from this film to the original 1981 slash film? So, of course, it takes place in present day. Um, that's probably the biggest, um, difference that, you know, which of course is why you know, it's not that big of a deal. You would expect it to take place in common, in modern day, but fucking was made in um, modern times. So, um, the characters and names are different. And, um, does that really make a big deal that they changed the name of the characters up? And you consider that a real remake? Nah, I just say that, you know, they have the, the same kind of elements from the original and follow the same kind of story. You will, you know, you have a good remake. So what about the kills? Um, the kills are pretty good. I think the beginning of the film, of course, in the mine is a little bit better than the end of the film and the rest of the stuff, but, um, it, it does, it does its job as a remake. Do I think it's a good remake? Um, it's, it's average, I have to say, you know, I didn't even know that. It says, My Bloody Valentine is the first R-rated film to be projected in real D technology, so, as you guys see. You know, a pretty early 3D film coming back from the um, the hype of the 3D thing. So, kills are okay. Um, he's a little CGI, a little bit too much in my opinion. If you really look at it, you could tell that it's CG. But for a modern day um, film, that's our and I love the little person part with the hotel. You know, that's that's probably my favorite kill in the uh, entire film. To be completely honest with. Um, with Sol, uh, fucking Celine and, and the little person when they go into the hotel room and gets her whole head through the light. You know, you guys know if you've seen the film about that kill, which is probably, in my opinion, one of the best kills in the film. And um, it's pretty, it's pretty, pretty an interesting film. So, not much more to say about this one. To be completely honest, it is as good as um, Hills Have Eyes. No, does it have some bad dialogue? Yes, does it have some generic, annoying, annoying, annoying characters? Yes, it's not like the original, which characters are just, eh. Um, this one, you know, they're a lot more modernized and annoying, so... 
It's an okay film, to be completely honest. Um, I'm going to give it a f- average 5 out of 10. Um, I watch it, unfortunately, in the 2D version. I didn't have a chance to watch it in a 3D version because I don't have the 3D TV, so I had to watch it in 2D, which is kind of shitty because that's not the way the film's meant to be seen. But what are you going to do? So just wanted to tell you guys why I wasn't in and the show and things like that, that I'm actually working on things that you know we love to do and talk about. So I'm actually using my skill set a little bit more than what I've been doing with my writing and things like that that I'm actually getting on the set because to be completely honest do you really think I'm going to get a job as a writer at a you know an online publication or you know a, a, a written publication probably not so you know I have to expand my skills somehow and working on a film with you know 100 plus people is really a, a really interesting opportunity that I couldn't pass up so I'll be back next week guys I promise I hope Moods and JP put on a kicked-ass show. I know they did because they always put on an awesome show. And until next week. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I'll talk to you guys next week. Everybody have a good week, and I hope you enjoyed my little segment of the show. I'll talk to you guys soon. See you guys.